welcome to the wildlife experience uh, today on his back and we have Casey here. Casey, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, hello, uh, I guess you said it. I'm Casey Shannaberger. Uh, I'm from the wonderful state of Iowa and I'm a big fisherman. I guess, uh, I guess Ann and I have met each other through like a, I know you've been talking to me about it, but it's multi-species fishing, yep. uh, lifeless fishing. Uh, I've been keeping a life list on Instagram for what, since early 2017. And I think Ann and I started talking like a year ago or something like that. Uh, no, it was year, more like ago. close to two years ago. Cause okay, I remember yeah. last summer we were supposed to. It was like, it was like early 2020 or something like that. Midway and, through 2019. And I guess my brain just hasn't registered that, you know, 2021 is almost over and we're almost through the full year already. So, you know, I'm still thinking it's like, oh, you know, 2019 was like a year ago. No, it was two well, years ago. 2020 was just like a, like oh, God, a, I don't a know what happened. blip it was gone in no time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, me and Casey, um, we had like this kind of shared passion for multi-species fishing and, you know, like we just kind of hit it off in our DMs and it was always a plan to like fish with each other. And, you know, we made that happen this summer. So Casey, you want to tell us more about that? Yeah. Uh, so I think, cause you had said you were taking a like cross country road trip and you had mentioned you're finally going to come through Iowa. Uh, you were coming from like the, you know, South Dakota or whatever. And you were going to come through Iowa. So I was like, all right, you know, get a day off of work, uh, get out and we can go do some fishing. And uh, there's a spot near me at my, where I'm from in central Iowa. It's a big spillway. There's a huge lake. Uh, it's the Des Moines river and below the lake. There's, like I said, big spillway. It's everything you could want to fish for. I fish for a lot of big mouth Buffalo. That's like one of the biggest things that I go after there. Uh, Cause they're, you know, they're primary, primarily like a filter feeder and, you know, they only eat like plankton and that kind of stuff but here i don't know if it's like what it's like a man-made kind of lake and it changes up the natural food chain because i'll catch them repeatedly hitting and chasing down big white or shad colored swim baits because that's what there's just a ton of right there and i guess you know on was one of the people was like man i gotta try this this sounds really cool and i think you'd mentioned like big mouth Buffalo is one of the, you know, species that was all the way, all the way up there on your list. So I was like, all right, yeah, that's the main fish here. If I can't, if I can't get you to catch one of these, then, you know, I think we're in trouble. But the first night we had uh, gone out to try and catch fish, it wasn't, you know, a great night because the night bite wasn't really that good this summer. And I think we spent like, you know, four or five hours out. And the only thing we got was like a tail hook carp. Yeah. And, you know, they're <laughs> like, man, this, this kind of sucks. I was like, you know, don't worry. It'll be good in the morning. And, and it was good in the morning, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was amazing. We went out and we had a killer multi-species day. Um, I, was, I was able to actually get two lifers out of that. I got the big mouth buffalo and I got yeah. a river carp sucker. Yeah, and the river carp sucker is definitely a, another fish that's not really as much of, you know, it's, it eats small microscopic things. But at this spot, you know, they there's not a whole lot of that in like a super man altered, you know, concrete tube where the spillway is, but the fish are all still here. So they're resorting to, like I said, other things. And even these little carp suckers that are, you know, no more than 20 inches long and they have really tiny mouths. They're still eating, you know, small shiners and shad. I've had them spit them out in nets before. So I know they're eating them. And yes. so we're just using small like plastics and that's what they'll hit. And, you know, 
there's times where I'll look down and like a sunny day, you, you're standing on this big wall and it's about 20 feet down to the water and you can just look straight down and see all the fish. And on a sunny day when there's a good amount of fishing, you can look down and the water's not even that clear, but you'll see hundreds and hundreds of buffalo all bigger than 10, 15 pounds. It's, it's crazy. It's definitely a unique spot. Sounds, uh, sounds really neat. Casey, do you want to, uh, do you want to back up and, and tell us how you yeah. got into fishing and, and fish diversity and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself yeah. before we get too far into stories and, and fishes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I guess the, where I kind of started fishing was I, when I was a kid, uh, me and my dad always went around fishing. He's, he grew up in like rural New Jersey, like Appalachian, New Jersey. So he would always kind of do riding his bike around to go fishing all sorts of streams and stuff. And then he moved to Iowa and here I am. But what, with that, he kind of taught that message to me of, I was always out exploring on my bike when I was a kid driving, riding around to different ponds, catching a bunch of bass and stuff. But then eventually I had stopped at this little Creek in my neighborhood and there was a little tiny trickle of water, wasn't much in it. And I was like, wow, I want to fish this because I've never fished this before. And the first fish that I caught that really started my like whole multi-species kind of thing was a Creek chub. And I had absolutely no idea what it was when I first caught it. No idea. I was like, wow, what is this thing? Is, is it a bass? I don't know. Is it a carp? I don't know. I had never caught a carp at that point. So I was like, and I think I was in like middle school at this point and I'm a junior in college now. So that was a long time ago. Yeah. And, you know, I started looking up all these different like creeks around in my neighborhood. Cause you know, I wanted to go catch more Creek chubs. So I was like, wow, these are so cool. And I was catching big ones that were like almost a foot long, just giant ones. And eventually I found a Creek where I was putting worms on the bottom. Cause I didn't know what else was in there. And I had caught my first ever, and, one of the fish that I caught was a red horse and that was the first one that I had ever caught. And I had no idea what it was. It was a pretty big one. So, you know, I was pretty happy with it. I was excited to see it and I had no idea what it was. So I started Googling things online, trying to figure out what exactly this slender golden fish that I had caught was. And eventually after kind of searching around, I came stumbled across this site that really got me into like the multi-species. It was like roughfish.com. You ever heard of that site at all? I haven't, no. Um, they're just a bunch of guys who I kind of share the same kind of multi-species life listing, all that stuff, ideology as us. But I finally found, you know, their site and I discovered what a life list was and how many different species there actually were around me because I had no idea all the crazy stuff that was around me or how to identify them. Yeah. And because of that, that's where I kind of started jumping into that whole life listing thing and starting to catch all my local species and trying to catch fish whenever i was traveling that's kind of how i got into that so you know thank god for yeah. green chubs right <laughs> yeah so casey what's your life list at right now just just um, for like a... i think i'm at 132 is what it's at right now i think the last one i caught was like a long nose days is what it was no is yeah. that is that really good for fish oh for yeah slide listing uh yeah. I, I obviously I'll, I'm going to, you know, as you know, a brag moment, I'll be like, yeah, it's really good. Of course I've caught 132 kinds of fish, yeah. but you know, I look at all other people at other people who've caught, you know, thousands of fish and I'm like, yeah, maybe someday. Yeah. You just got to travel to different continents. Yeah. I got to get, yeah, I know. I don't have the money for that. I'm a college student. <laughs> someday. Yep. But, but you've caught most of your local species, right? Yeah. I've caught, 
I haven't, I'm not a big micro fisherman yet. Uh, I'm sure I'll dive into that rabbit hole once I get all the, uh, like kind of standard kind of bigger size, like species out in my area. And that's kind of been my main goal is to get those. And I think I've gotten all this really standard size species in Iowa, apart from like a handful. And those are rare ones, which I've got to catch in like the margin waters on like the Missouri river or the Mississippi river, where I just have to chance into them. There's really no way to target them. What, what kind of a, what kind of aquatic systems are you fishing out there in Iowa? Um, so we get a lot of just big, wide, flat rivers in Iowa. Um, it's pretty flat for the most part. Most of our rivers are really sediment filled. Uh, they're sandy a lot of times and they just kind of meander through agricultural lands is most of our water. It's a lot of warm water. Uh, you know, kind now, of what you like to see with like channel catfishes, that kind of water. Now when Casey says flat, and this was like a surprise to me when I visited because he was like, yeah, we got flat water and whatever. But Andrew, I know that like we're from East Texas, you know, we're like swamp rats. So when you say flat, we're thinking like lowland swamps, like calm, still water. No, he's talking about like rolling hills. So that's his flat. And I just yes. kind of had to like be given a heads up because I entered Iowa and I was like, why is there so many hills? This is not like the flat that I was told. And then on the drive, he goes, yeah, this is pretty flat land. Like it's agricultural. It's not. It's not flat for us. Okay. Okay. Well, you came in. What, what, what part of Iowa did you come down? And you came in like from like Northwest Iowa, which along the Missouri River is pretty hilly. That's pretty hilly. You, you didn't see the actual interior of Iowa where you can look and not see any elevation change for miles. Yeah, but even like going into Des Moines, I was, it was still a lot more hilly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we we are pretty flat, but we have enough river valleys in Iowa that keeps it, that keeps the topography somewhat you know unique i guess keeps it it breaks up the uh, flatlands a little bit yeah right and casey yeah. also let us know what your college major is because oh yeah uh so i didn't even finish explaining myself uh yeah. so i'm a geography major uh gis it's i'm not sure what field i want to take it into yet um I'm either going into like environmental planning or like regional planning or urban planning, something along that line. You know, it's kind of like a fisherman. I want to, and you know, outdoorsman, I want to make like cities and plan things to be as friendly to people who want to enjoy them while also still, you know, making a legitimate city, of course. And yeah. seeing how some cities and being able to travel and see how some cities handle their green space and handle their like, you know, public waters and handle their resources and some do it really well and some don't do it very well you know i want to be able to allow people to enjoy those yeah and with that with that background you you can still pursue you know something in in wildlife ecology or fisheries if you want yeah, gis is very useful in natural resources in general it's, it's really yeah. wide ranging there's a it's lot very of wide topics it can cover yeah I work yeah. in, uh, in consulting. It's it's very useful. I wish I knew GIS. <laughs> it's it's not too hard to pick up. Um, there's enough YouTube videos on it. On? Yeah. So I was just saying, like, yeah. Even though Casey's a geography major, his, yeah, he's it's, pretty damn good with his fish. Well, one <laughs> thing I think that uh, you know, I don't know if it's just like a geography major kind of thing. It's one thing I have always loved is like looking at maps 
And I think that has helped me discover so many different fishing spots. I would have never looked at the two, the two things go hand in hand. Cause you know, it's like people who fish and look for all sorts of different species. You're always, you know, pouring over maps, trying to find like, is this bridge look kind of good? Is the water deep enough? Can I tell from a map? You know, I'm yeah. trying to do that all the time. So much of my job is literally just staring at Google earth imagery <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. as a biologist. It's uh, yeah, you know, understand, you know, being able to read habitats and stuff from aerial imagery is so important. Yeah. Well, like half the time I'm sitting around at home or if I'm, you know, just bored, not doing anything, I've got time. I'll just open up Google maps. It's like, you know, when you open up like your browser, it's like, you got like the few recommended things that like you always use. Google maps is like one of my top ones. Yeah. I'll just like click it open and just kind of pour through it. See, it's like, is there any spots around here? I haven't fished. Do any of them think that I might be good? It might jog my memory for like a spot or something like that. If you get Google Earth Pro, you can look at historical imagery too, which is really yeah, neat. Yeah, no, you can look at like older satellite imagery and yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's it's cool. pretty nice. Yeah. I have to do that a lot of times when I'm looking at spots because all the imagery for us was taken, like the most recent imagery was taken during really high water. So I can't tell what the water actually looked like or where it's actually like if there's a dam there or not because it's just getting flooded over. Yeah. On and I are in the Houston area and there are images from like 1944 mm-hmm. of the yeah, Katy Prairie and this Katy Prairie ecosystem used to have all these potholes and really cool wetlands and stuff. And mm-hmm. they're all gone. Now there's just endless neighborhoods, but if you go back in the imagery, you can see all that, all the micro topography that used to be there and all the wetlands. Yeah. And there's all sorts of cool stuff down there. I've, really neat. You guys have so much cool like topography along like the Gulf and stuff is that super low land fish can just kind of get everywhere. Yeah. that's one thing we don't really have up here is our waterways aren't super interconnected because of that because you know we have river valley you know 40 50 60 miles of just flat land with no water on it and then another completely separate river valley and you know those fish can't get between unless they go all the way downstream one and all the way back upstream another yeah so i'm always kind of jealous of you guys like especially that swamps i think i remember one of the episodes you guys had talked about like swamps or something like that we can't get fish in that because, you know, I, I always see like a swamp and I'm like, man, bet you if we had, you know, a climate that didn't freeze over every winter, there'd be a lot of fish in that. But, you know, we get two feet of ice every winter. It's a bit different. Do you imagine two feet of ice? Oh, man, I can't. I don't have to. <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, if any of you, if you guys have never ice fished, it's something that you got to try. It's a really cool feeling standing directly above the fish on the water trying to catch them. We'd like to have power first when we have ice and then. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I remember yeah. you texting about that. You're like, man, it's cold down here. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, you guys had like big, like winter fish kills and stuff down there, didn't you? Oh, yeah. So yeah. our coast lost 9.3 billion tons of fish. It's like, I can't even imagine that much fish because we have winter kills up here. But, you know, that's, I guess up here, that's a natural thing. And it's not usually a very big amount of fish. Yeah. It's, usually if it is, it's... What was the main species composition for that? So out of those 9.3 billion ton, million or billion tons, I can't remember. It was mostly rough fish. And so we're talking about mullet, um, menhaden, and, you know, shad, like the bait fish. So we really saw like the lower trophic levels get hit. And um, roughly about 9 to 12% of that was game fish. And we're talking about are like sea trout here, like spotted sea trout, um, which is why we've got like really over 20 kind of just like sprouting and growing 
as a culture here because we're trying to release each other over 20 inches, even though our regulations aren't, you know, like super strict about it. We're trying to get people to start releasing them just because the big females are actually the best spawners. And, you know, like they, they can just hold more eggs and we need that right now. That's that's one thing that I really can always rant about is especially up here. And I think I've ranted about it on Instagram a few times is like people who technically are following the laws of like, you know, harvest and stuff, but they really shouldn't be keeping that many fish. Selective harvest is a big deal up here. You guys, yeah. I know in Texas and some like lakes, you guys got like wipers, like, you know, striped and white bass hybrids. Yeah. Yeah. So those are a big like river game fish up here. Huge game fish a lot of time in the spring, especially. And when they run, you know, there's huge, huge schools of fish that are eight, nine, 10 pounds in rivers and they're hitting everything that moves. But the problem is there's no limit on them. And every year you can, you can notice it just by talking to a lot of regulars is the report for every year. It seems to get worse and worse for how many are being caught and how many big ones are being caught because you'll see people walking out of the river with stringers of, you know, a dozen, two dozen wipers every single day. And when there's, you know, hundreds of people hitting these spots, doing it every day with no real regulation size limit or bag limit takes a really big toll on the fishery and they don't stock them anymore either which hurts it even farther. And I've gotten, I've not really super happy with how it's enforced because it's not enforced here at all because we don't really have the resources to be able to do that. It's just like, man, just a little bit of like regulation change people would probably catch on. Yeah. yeah the, the problem is- Knock the bag limit down just a little bit. With much of conservation um, and sort of widespread issues, a lot of people, when they do something like that, they think they're in, like, they're like, they're like, only I'm doing this, it's not a big deal. But then when everybody thinks like that, there's it's a huge problem, you know? Yeah, and I don't keep fish super often. Um, I've got a good amount of fish in my freezer, but it's been stuff that I've just kind of slowly accumulated over time. It's like, oh, you know, maybe keep one fish every other week or something like that. And usually just something I'll throw it in my freezer and probably have, you know, a big, you know, good amount of fish at the end of the year just to kind of celebrate the year. But you see people who it's like, it's legal, so I can do it, even though it's not really the greatest thing to do. Yeah. Um, what species of fish are you, are you eating out there? Um, the, my favorite fish to eat here, just through ease of fish, is walleye. Walleye is a really easy fish to eat. Yeah. Uh, they taste pretty good. They're easy to fillet. They're not very bony. I like a lot of panfish, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, panfish yeah. is good. Crappie is good. good uh, Bluegills is good. Um, one fish that's also pretty good and they're you know i guess closely related to what you guys have down there in the salt is freshwater drum yeah they're fish they're casper they're, the only problem with them is they uh their meat spoils really fast if you don't fillet them or throw them on ice really quickly they've got a lot of bloodlines in the bit you got to get those out fast or either or just freeze them um i like eating a lot of like rough fish and stuff uh, most of them aren't too bad. They just take a little bit longer to prepare because they got a lot more bones in them. Like red horses and suckers are very good. It's a nice white meat. You know, people always think of them, oh, they're garbage. You know, they're not going to taste that good. They're always eating off the bottom. But, you know, I'm, red horse and suckers, they just eat bugs. That's the same thing that trout eat. And people go crazy over trout. They eat the same exact thing. They're just like, ah, you know. I get why some people might not like them because they're kind of difficult to prepare. And I, I understand coming from that angle because they're bony as hell and you just got to get bones out of them. But we'll, uh, 
fillet them just like a normal fish because their their scales aren't super tough or anything. But the fillets have a ton of bones, so we'll put them into a meat grinder, grind it up, and make the like what we have into little meatballs and smoke them or deep fry them. It's very good. Uh, the term sucker balls always gets a little chuckle out of people. But I always <laughs> love saying that's like, hey, what are you? Oh, sucker balls. How do you do you uh, fillet or do you uh, scale um, bluegill? Um, you it depends on how, how I want to cook it. Yeah. If I'm just frying it up in a pan, just I just fillet them and just yeah. mo- most pan most freshwater fish skin that you eat normally is so easy to and the skin just peels right off after it's cooked anyways. Yeah, just flip the fillet over, kind of lift a knife under it and just kind of wiggle it down. The skin comes right off. I love, bad, but sometimes I love clean and fully. Bluegill are, are such a cool fish to me. I, I want to catch like, like a one pound bluegill, you know, that's like my dream. We've, I've caught some big ones up here. Uh, we'll get them in these real tiny, like private neighborhood ponds that you kind of got to get access to fish or don't get access to fish. I didn't say that here, but <laughs> they get, we get like, we get like those big green sunfish bluegill hybrids that get, you know, up to 13, 14 inches. They're, you know, they're like genetic freaks, but they're so cool. <laughs> and they just get huge. They got like full on foreheads and everything. Yeah. And they fight hard too. They're really mm-hmm. strong yeah. fish. They don't taste too bad of them probably don't want to eat them out of those ponds because they got so much fertilizer dumped into them <laughs> oh, that's gross yeah. i can imagine a bluegill got to be like four pounds five pounds they'd be breaking your line dude things fight well, they they get those records from out in like california you know where they have no natural predators so they just get giant like those five six pound like or whatever like four pound or something readier sunfish mm-hmm. they just get huge it's insane it's a shame it's got to happen you know where they're not supposed to be but <laughs> yeah if you go on Instagram, I think Bruce Condello, he's he's caught some whopper bluegill green sunfish hybrids. And I just I think you gotta you gotta look it up, man, because those things are 15, 16 inches around, like in girth. Yeah. We, What's his name? My dad and I, we, uh, go ahead. Bruce Condello. Bruce Yeah, my dad and I, we like to call those giant like bluegills and like green stuff would you like to call them dinner plates because you know you could eat oh, your yeah. dinner on the fish and then eat the fish yeah. afterwards big enough wow man they're such a i love a big mature bluegill man they're, oh, they're, the colors that's another problem we have so here cool. with like that fisheries just people keeping them all as people keep so many pan fish up here too really you know stocking you know needs can't always keep up with them sometimes i think the only things that really get stocked are walleye trout and maybe catfish up here regularly so channel catfish is our state fish it's not a bad state fish to have what's the oh i didn't know that guadalupe or yeah it's the guad bass okay that's a, as yeah but i was the channel cat which i guess is fish. probably the most commonly fished for fish in iowa by a long shot because it's in every single one of our rivers and you know it's their native habitat do y'all, um, You'll never hear me complaining about a big one. Yeah. Do you have a lot of uh, res- like reservoirs? Um, a good amount, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of them are dammed up like small creeks. Yeah. Um, and they get, you know, on average, you know, five, six acres. A lot of them aren't giant. But we have a couple really big ones that are along like the major rivers. And they're, you know, acting as flood control. 
Yeah. They're all right fishing. A lot of them have really good crappie fishing in them just because they got so much old sunken timber in them now. Yeah. It's from where it used to be forest beds. I think the biggest one is Lake Red Rock in Iowa. That one's intimidating lake without a boat. That's a, Reservoirs are an interesting thing because they do provide some great recreational opportunities and fishing and some species of fish probably do do are even more abundant now because of reservoirs um like i'm talking about texas in particular but and then we have but we have the species like paddlefish that are declining because of you know dams and um so they're you know they're an interesting thing yeah one thing because like you said it, it hurts species we've got like we've got like lake sturgeon and like blue suckers that it hurts their migrations and stuff mm -hmm. but most of the dams now have i think i think have been around long enough that a lot of the newer populations of fish and this could be super unscientific or not i don't really know but maybe they've just adapted to it and just changed their spawning grounds and yeah. all it takes is one generation to spawn there and then boom it's all you know change it up because they're yeah. all one of the my spot where i caught a blue sucker the last couple of years it's i love those fish but it's you know a dam in the middle of a town in iowa it's just right there yeah and it's it's not a natural spot at all. It's underneath a power plant in the middle of a city. It's <laughs> you know, not exactly the most wild spot. But yeah. one thing that the dams here do and that they do a really good job of is in Texas, do you guys have any problems with like uh, the invasive like big head and silver carp? No, not yet. Not yet. Fortunately. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of problems with those in Iowa, especially along the Mississippi and Missouri rivers because they're they swim up the rivers in either state. Because like the Missouri River is our western border, Mississippi River is our eastern border, just kind of cool. We got two of the biggest rivers in the country that are borders, but they're really common in both of those rivers, and they swim up the uh, interior rivers. But thankfully, because of those big impoundments and those big reservoirs and big dams, they can't get farther upstream. So that kind of preserves, you know, a lot of the upstream fisheries from having to deal with those fish. Yeah, which is one of the reasons we have such a good population of like big mouth buffalo and any filter feeding fish in central Iowa because some of those big reservoirs are keeping the fish from getting above them. But, you know, the sad yes. part is all it takes is one idiot to throw one in the lake above the dam and, you know, we're, we're screwed. Yeah. I think, but I think thankfully right now we've got, you know, enough of an established population that'll fight them off for a while. I know you just mentioned blue suckers like two, three times. Do you want to talk to us more about those fish? Yeah. All right, so the blue sucker is, it's a sucker species, but it's one of the biggest ones in, a, in North America, I believe. It, they get up to, you know, I think 20 pounds at the biggest, but they're a super migratory fish, and they're really rare. They're kind of like this, the sucker version of like a salmon for how much they migrate. Um, they'll swim from, they'll swim hundreds of miles upstream just to the one dam that they were born at or the dam that they always spawn at, and the only time you can really catch them in the air, like with any reliability, you look up a picture of one or. Yeah, a blue sucker came up like a lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might have to specify a little bit. Yeah. But the only time they can really be caught reliably is during their spawning run when hundreds of them just show up at one, you know, dam for two, three weeks and then they disappear immediately. Like uh, we had a, like with how fast they can disappear is crazy, but. They're, they've been a dream fish of mine for a super long time, basically since I ever found out about like rough fish and what suckers were. 
And I think I found out about them in spring of 2018. And that was the first time I ever tried for them. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I didn't really do that well. Uh, I don't think I actually even hooked one that spring. And because they no, spawn in super, yeah, no, they spawn in super heavy, fast, shallow water. That's really rocky. So, you know, it's really hard to get a bait into water that's knee deep that could basically knock you over. And that's the water they spawn in. So it's really hard to figure out how do I catch this fish with any reliability. And so the first couple of years, I couldn't figure them out. And I had a couple buddies in Eastern Iowa who had actually figured out how to catch them. And they were just drifting big jig heads. And they were just drifting baits through the current that just kind of rumbled and bounced through the current. They didn't sit still at all. Because if you sat still in there, you need you know five pounds of weight. You don't really want to cast that. And they had figured out how to catch a bunch of them. And I was always seeing them post pictures of them while I live two hours away in waters that don't have them. I'm just like, man, I need one of these. That was while I was, you know, still in high school and I didn't have the time to drive over there barely on the weekends to catch them. So 2019 went by and I tried again. I actually hooked one in 2019. Because, you know, I say like, you know, the years go by because if you don't get them during that two or three week span in like late April, early May, you have to wait until the next spring because when they migrate downstream, they spread out. There's no real big schools of them. And they like to live in the deepest, fastest water possible the rest of the year. And that's hard to fish because usually that's, you know, you need a boat to get out to that. Or some people will catch them every now and then in the summer, but, you know, I'm, I'm not so lucky. So 2019 came by and I tried again for them. And I, like I said, I hooked one and then I didn't get it in. That was the only one I had hooked that year. And, you know, that just motivated me even more because I was, you know, waiting for 2020 to come around because I really wanted to crack at them. And 2020 was the first year I was really able to try really hard for them because the previous two years, I'd only made like one weekend trip to go get them because that was the only time I had. But 2020, as a lot of people know, the spring of 2020 was a little weird. You know, there was a lot less things going on and a lot more things going on. But I had a lot of time spring 2020 because I was home from school because of, you know, the whole pandemic. And because of that, I was driving two hours each two hours each way so you know a four hour round trip two or three times a month trying or two or three times almost a week trying to get these things and I kept hooking them I couldn't get them in and it was like I think I was sitting at home on a Sunday night it was it had this the spawn had been going on for a couple weeks so I knew it was almost done I was running out of time and I was sitting at home one night and my friend texted me saying we just caught probably 20 of them in an hour at the spot I had tried fishing the whole time and they're here everywhere. So, you know, I obviously went there the next day, woke up bright and early. It was like low forties, windy and rainy. It was perfect fishing weather, you know, and I show up there, there's no one there, but I could see just, I walked down to the rapids where, you know, I've been fishing for so long where I hadn't really seen that many. Cause they like to jump when they spawn. So that's how you know, they're there. You see these big dark fish fly out of the water, like dolphins. And I finally walked down there and there's a ton of them there. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. And, you know, I'm like, all right, this is my chance, you know, make it or break it right now. And I tie on the jig head, worm, first cast, snagged right there. Perfect. You know, ready to go. And then I fish for, get it off, whatever, have to retie. No big deal. I've got plenty of jigs. I've been doing this for a whole month. But the next cast, after I had retied, hooked something. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I finally got it. This is a big fish. It's powerful. It's strong. And I'm like fighting it. I'm like, you know, sweating in this rain. I'm super, my heart's beating like crazy because 
what else could be in this super fast shallow water and i get it in it's a big white bass and i'm just like man what are you doing here (laughs) i was like you know normally i'd be happy to catch like a 17 18 inch white bass that's a giant one normally i'd be super excited but i was just sitting looking at it in my net and i'm just like man i really wish you did not show up today (laughs) and then you know i let it go whatever i was like got my like heart rate up like crazy for nothing you know i was like man this is gonna have be how it ends right and then finally there's this other guy was walking down i'm kind of talking to him and i'm casting while i'm talking to him and i don't even get the chance to set the hook on this one because a fish picks it up and just flies with it as fast as it can. It, you know, probably takes out a good 15 yards of line before I realize what happened. Cause it just flew downstream in that heavy current. So I have to, you know, excuse myself from this conversation really politely and just start running downstream as fast as I can. And a couple minutes later, you, know, I see it kind of breach the surface and it's a blue sucker. And, you know, I had been pretty calm the whole fight. And then the moment it comes up above the surface, you know, it's, you know, I just started freaking out, just like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. You know, I'm, like, going crazy. And this guy, obviously, is looking at me. No idea what this fish is. To him, it's just a carp, and he's wondering why this kid is out here in the cold, pouring rain, getting super excited over it. Probably thought I was a little weird. But I finally, I get it into my net, and I use a little undersized rubber trout net for all my fish. It's easy. It's portable. Most of Most of the fish fit, so I'm, you know, trying to wrangle it. My like leg slips in, I get all wet from it and it's cold outside. And then I finally get it wrangled in the net. And, you know, I start, you know, hooting and hollering on the bank, like, Ooh, yeah, let's go. And this <laughs> guy's just staring at me silently. Just this old dude to state. Yeah. He was like, good job, man. You know, real uncomfortable kind of, it's like, yeah, don't you're, you're weird. And, and I'm like, excuse me, sir, you mind taking a picture of this fish for me? And he's, you know, yeah, sure. Cause he didn't know what it was. And so I hold the fish up and, you know, thank God it's pouring rain. Cause I was crying when I like landed that thing. I was legitimately, you know, shed a few tears when I had finally gotten that fish. Cause that was, you know, the penultimate of, you know, me putting in, uh, God knows how much fishing I put in spring 2020 for one, probably of just fishing time, probably 50, 60 hours of fishing time in that spring of just trying to catch one. And, you know, however many hours, another, almost as many hours of driving in that time. And that was, and so I finally gotten it and I'd only been there for, you know, about, about a half hour. Or so, you know, I was like, wow, that was quick. Took a bunch of pictures with it and, you know, it was a boy. So, you know, just decided to jizz all over my boots for good measure as I released it, you know, they're in the middle of their spawn. It's like, eh, it's raining, it'll wash off. And, you know, finally let it go. And, and I'm still kind of in tears. I was wearing sunglasses for some reason, even though it was pouring outside. And finally let it go and you know i'm just shaking there from excitement and this guy's like oh what, so what kind of fish was that and you, my multi-species mind was like well let me tell you and i was like I'd, I'd be delighted to tell you what fish this is so i'd tell him about like you know the whole blue sucker kind of spiel that i had given you guys and i guess that's i don't really have a good way to end that story but i got another one this last spring which was pretty cool yeah, so that's a, I'm looking at a picture of it right now. That's a beautiful fish. Oh, like, gorgeous. they're it's gorgeous a, fish. It's bigger than than what I was imagining, too. Are you looking at the one that I had posted or like? Yeah, from uh, couple, yeah. April 11th. Mm-hmm. Is that the one yeah. that you just told the story of? Uh, the one that I just told the story of was from 2020. Oh, so okay. That's the same. Yep. This past. Okay, I got you. Yeah. 
Um, I got you. They get way bigger. They get up to 20 pounds or something. I think a friend of mine, uh, they wanted me to name drop their Instagrams, but I'll, I'll do that later or something. But yeah, there's yeah. uh, a friend of mine. It was Zach and Josh. They're from uh, Cedar Rapids. They were the ones who had gotten me to fish for them the, originally. And they were the ones who had kind of showed me what they were. One of them, they want to get the state record for it next year because we've we, they've caught a couple that are bigger than the state record. But, you know, they're just one of our stipulations is if we do catch a state record, we want to be able to release it alive. Yeah. So if we have no way to release it alive, we just, you know, just release it and take a bunch of pictures and brag about it to everyone. Yeah. I mean, that, um, that, you guys, that have, you guys ever tried to catch a state record? I haven't, no. Uh, Sorry, you're saying. But uh, I was just going to say, you know, that 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 moment when you, when you got that blue sucker, th- those are moments that we all live for as, as fishermen oh, and hunters and naturalists. And it's one thing, you know, uh, birders, that is, that is what we live for is that moment yeah. you want to have as many as many of those as you can in your lifetime because it, it's awesome but not too many you know not too many especially yeah they gotta yeah. spread them out yeah. you know but it usually I mean, works out and especially with blue suckers and their futures i i think is kind of uncertain because of habitat loss and because you know they need those a lot yeah. of their spawning grads were you know broken up by dams and so they're I think they'll be okay just by looking at seeing the big numbers of them spawning every year and seeing that they're, although I have seen a couple dead ones on the bank, which never makes me that happy. Yeah. Like someone catches a fish. I don't know what this fish is. So my first instinct is to kill it and leave it there. I, I've never understood that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's such a cool with, moment to be able to get one. People have, uh, people just don't like rough fish. You know? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a whole anti, you know, rough fish stigma going around that. I always hate it. And that's kind of one of the biggest things that I always try to spread is no fish is a trash fish. It's either no fish is a trash fish or all fish are trash fish. Yeah. You know, there's, 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 where does a rough fish come from? Um, I think it just kind of comes from trash. Another fish. variation of trash fish. Yeah. The, you mean the term itself? A rough fish. Yeah. 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 Well, um, so rough fish and trash fish kind of, they came from like how you treated the fish on commercial boats. So like with, with game fish, you wanted to preserve the entire fish when you're selling it at market. So, you know, with like with bass or with redfish or whatever kind of game fish we were commercially selling back in the day, like way back when it was just gill nets and whatever you'd sell like redfish hole, you sell bass hole, you sell like wipers and striped bass hole. But with rough fish, you treat them pretty rough on the boat. So like with buffalo, carp, you know, all these other fish, you would treat them rough or like trash. And what you would do is actually gut them so you could reduce the weight of your boat and catch more of them. So people would, so people would gut the carp and they would trash the, trash the guts. And that's where like trash fish came from. Or if they'd like rough them up and like treat them bad, that's where the rough fish came from. And there was, there was a recent paper about like the word use, like rough fish and trash fish and how people are trying to change that. I, I could send you guys the links after, but um, it's really cool to see that like that concept was taken, carried over from like people going commercial fishing and wanted to fit more of those fish on the boat to those fish being treated like trash now. Because carp was, carp was a big delicacy back in the day. And like they were introduced here because they were so sought out for like they were so sought after that we couldn't get enough carp in the Americas. 
And it got to the point where, you know, the supply goes higher than the demand and it just kind of crashes from there. It's never gotten back up. But I never actually knew that. Yeah. Rough fish came from. I never from actually knew the history, but I just yeah. kind of assumed it was just, you know, it, I just kind of assumed it kind of came as, you know, kind of a, another word for it. I guess just trash. It's like, oh, I don't like this fish. It's trash. You know, I thought it just kind of came from that, which I guess in a way it did. Well, yeah, the, the, the word was taken out I of guess, context. Uh-huh. And that, that all one carried the, over to of, yeah. sport fishing. Yeah. Because like those commercial guys would call them rough fish or trash fish, meaning that they wanted to trash the guts so that they could fit more of them on the boat. And the sport fishermen kind of ran with it the wrong way and it just never changed. Yep. It was like a cultural shift and just never went well, back. One thing, it's like, it's like I got no problem with, you know, certain fish being more sporty fish because it's obvious to see what the appeal of things like bass are they're not incredibly hard to catch I, I don't care what anyone says i don't think bass are that hard to catch but like they're they're a fun fish to catch that can live in just about any water and they're pretty easy to raise and they're pretty easy to you know stock anywhere and that's that's cool i, I like bass i'll always be happy when i catch one that being said the attention they get i don't really like that much yeah it's, yeah i mean there's an entire fishing. bass fishing league or several of them in fact it's crazy yeah. Although, on espn one, one the, i know it's they well one of the uh i'm in my like my schools like my college's like fishing team or fishing club we yeah. have a team i don't really go to any of the tournaments because i don't really have the time to but one of our uh, like our faculty advisor for the club is a semi-pro it used to be pro bass angler and he's been coming to me and asking me about like, hey, what are these like rough fish? And I want to go catch them and stuff. And I'm just like, ah, came to the right guy. <laughs> and he's cool. a uh, like a biology professor and stuff. So he knows about all of them and he's knowledgeable on them. But he's just asking me how to catch them. I'm like, man, I'm glad I, I like being able to spread that knowledge. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the most humble way possible. <laughs> Have you ever thought about, you know, trying your hand at tournament fishing for bass? I've or? wanted to try try it and yeah. i'll probably try it in the next year or so because i've got a couple years of school left i can yeah. you know i got the time to it's tough but we have, <laughs> we have a couple we have a couple local i say local when i mean like you know like two three hours away and that's doable on like a short weekend because yeah. most bass tournaments are on like big lakes like down in like the ozarks or like tennessee or whatever those giant giant impoundments they have yeah like lake of the ozarks uh, that's intimidating water to me <laughs> i'd I grew up fishing small ponds and I'd made the transition over to river fishing and I basically stayed true to that for the rest of my life. So yeah. I've never really been a big lake guy and I don't know if I could do it in like Texas where you guys just have giant impoundments everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's I've grown up fishing those impoundments, um, especially the ones in East Texas, like Sam Rayburn and Toledo Bend. Yeah. Uh, in the bass fishing world, those are pretty renowned. Um, and I love them. I, you know, I grew up going there and, but now I would much rather fish uh, natural river systems and streams. And that's just way more interesting to me, um, fishing a natural aquatic system. Yeah. Do you guys have many, like, or if any, like, natural lakes in Texas at all? Or? No. We well, don't actually have any natural lakes. There's Caddo. Um, it's, it's, it's considered a natural lake, but it, we share it with uh, Louisiana. It's on the Louisiana north. Texas, Northeast Texas, Louisiana border. Yeah. Okay. And just like a kind of like a circle. We've got oxbows. Like bull lakes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, don't, 
I mean, like up, those are natural lakes, right? Up where you're at, y'all have like, you don't have like natural, like glaciated lakes, I guess. Yeah, we have a few of those in Iowa. Most of those are up into Minnesota, but a few of them oh, are in Iowa. We got like uh, Clear Lake, uh, Big Spirit Lake, Okaboji Lake. Those are pretty, and I, I let you know, they always tell them they're world renowned, and they pretty much are because they're the Iowa DNR puts a lot of their resources into maintaining those lakes because they truly are really cool. They've got huge versions of every fish in Iowa. I think the state record smallmouth bass came out of those. A lot of state records have come out of those lakes, so they manage them well, which is cool. And those are those glaciated lakes. They get, you know, hundred something feet deep in the middle of Iowa. That's just weird to think about because most of our reservoirs are 30 or 40. Yeah. And they're crystal clear too. It's crazy. Go ahead on. Because they don't have any of that, like, go ahead on. No, I was just saying that's really freaking cool. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, but because they don't have that, uh, they're so clear because they don't have to deal with that sediment from our rivers that's always just dumping into them and, you know, mucking up the bottom. They actually got, although one reason they're unclear, or they are clear, I guess, is you guys have zebra mussels as a problem down in Texas too? Not all the way through Texas, but we do have them in certain parts yet. They are really brutal in some of our waters, and it sucks because, you know, they clear up the water super well, which, you know, from a fisherman's standpoint is awesome. You know, I get to love to see the fish I'm fishing for, but they also, you know, destroy the native mussel populations. And so we've had to, one of the things we've done to stock them or to fight them is to stock freshwater drum. Oh, yeah. Because drum love mussels, especially like, I think it was a study that younger freshwater drum, it's like the overwhelming majority of their diet is is like strictly mussels. So, you know, it's no secret that some of our lakes that have zebra mussel infestations also have some of the largest drum in Iowa, which is kind of funny to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to fish for that. Oh, big gas I, I love them and I hate them. Uh, they're one of my, the baby ones are very, very annoying in our rivers because you can't fish a bait in our rivers during the summer months just because you'll catch a drum and not big ones, like the little three to four inches that are swallowing your bait, no matter, no matter what kind of hook you use. I think I had one, it was like five inches long, sw- swallow a one-aught circle hook, like a huge ball in that cross. I'm like, how did that even fit in its mouth, first of all? And it's just like, well, I can't get this off, and I want my hook back, so it just became cut bait. But yeah. Do y'all do y'all have any um, endemic fishes? Um, I guess every fish you catch in Iowa, apart from like your aquarium releases or like common carp is native here, which is cool. Yeah. We don't really have any like, like special to Iowa because yeah, I got you. all of our rivers start another, most of our rivers start in other states, flow through yeah. Iowa and end in other states. So, you know, we got, we got a lot of regional endemics, but not a lot of local endemics. We have, yeah. I guess the Iowa darter is named after Iowa, but Iowa is one of the hardest states to find it in its own range because it's a bit farther north. Yeah. Um, I guess like fish like red horse and a lot of the sucker species are regional endemics because they like that more northern, clear, colder water and work somewhat on the southern end of that until you get down to the Ozarks again. Yeah. But we're on the southern end of that range. And we get a lot of those in northeast Iowa because most of Iowa's flat, but you mentioned earlier like some of those glacial lakes. But we have the driftless area in northeast Iowa which is where that big glacial drift missed. So it didn't, you know, flatten and scrape everything out. 
So there's huge like limestone bluffs. It's really hilly. There's, you know, cold water springs all up there. There's, there's native trout up there's native brook trout. I'd say up there, we have native <laughs> brook trout in Iowa, but we've stocked so many rainbow and brown trout that a native, a pure native brook trout is literally impossible to find now. It's because they've been, you know, kind of con- cross contaminated with like, you know, stocked brook trout genes and stuff. Yeah. But there's still a few streams with them, but yeah, I guess that's what our own, that's one that no one really ever knows is that the brook trout's native to Iowa. That's one that wow. no one ever really seems to get. It's like the problem uh, on now we're talking about the Guadalupe bass. Yeah. And the stocked, uh, the stocked uh, spotted bass, right? Yeah. Yeah. Shame. <laughs> yeah. Shame. Like genetically pure fish. Damn it. it they're you know, so hard to native. find. Pure native. I've only ever caught one wild brook trout in Iowa, and you, you can usually just tell by looking at them what's a stocked brook trout and what isn't. Just by gestalt. Yeah. You can't, it, sometimes you can't describe it, but you just know, you know. Yeah, you just know, and it's yeah. also the habitat because it was caught yeah, in the habitat. It was caught in a stream that isn't stocked, and so I was yeah. like, yeah, this is this is a native fish right here, because they don't yeah. stock all the trout streams up there, but all of them, almost all of them, have some population of trout in them, whether it be like the small native brook trout or just, you know, the hordes of stocked rainbow trout yeah yeah don't get me wrong i enjoy fishing for them all but it's just it gets it, it, it annoys me a little when people talk you know oh i hate all these invasive species but then they go and fish for invasive trout in the waters right next to them <laughs> do you ever harvest like the trout when they're when they're like eater size maybe because i know um, for sure the, uh, yeah i'll only harvest brown and rainbow trout i won't because they yeah. are stocked and they do have they're repeatedly stocked i won't harvest brook trout Good. It's because of their native status, but yeah, trout's very good. It's it's a nice kind of depending on the trout, it can either be like a white or a red meat. It's just depending on the fish. I'm I haven't eaten trout in a long time, but it you know fries up really good. There's not a lot of bones in it. It's just the stocker trout meat isn't the greatest sometimes because it's you know hatchery raised. Not <laughs> it, it it tastes fine and it, it's not like bad it's just not, not the best fish you'll ever eat it's just a pellet fit soccer yeah you got this natural bias in your mind that you know it's not you know the yeah. real thing and, so. <laughs> and, and, and there's a huge difference between that pellet fed fish and that wild like born and raised fish oh, it is a, okay i see there's a huge difference in the, yeah. the meat and stuff if you yeah. go to like a grocery store up here and you just take a look at they have like wild caught salmon versus farm raised salmon it's the same species of salmon but the meat color is widely different. And you can tell that just the wild caught salmon is so much better. Yeah. Have you fished out of the state? Out of Ohio? Uh, I've fished a good amount of states in the Midwest. Okay. I have, because I have my yearly license in Iowa and I just buy the annual license in Minnesota as well because I go up there a lot. Uh, but just this last summer, I was in Hawaii and that was the first time I'd really been able to ever fish that area because I'd been there before when I was younger, but I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't really fish. And so I, you know, brought a couple fishing rods along with me and fished the ocean, like seriously, really for the first time where I knew what I was doing and I knew how to catch a bunch of fish. And that was a cool experience. It's, yeah. it's a lot different than fishing, you know, lakes and rivers around here because every fish is a lot stronger in the ocean. I think you guys probably know that ocean fish are way stronger. Oh yeah. These little small you know, those bluefin trevallis that I was catching out there, I was catching them like, you know, six, seven inches and they're, you know, pulling drag and I'm (laughs) strong fish. You you think I'd just be able to lift it out of the water, but you can't. Was that on the crossfire? Yeah. I was using that little dive crossfire. Man, best fishing reel ever. 
you got to get sponsored by that reel. We we do. We What's special about it? It's 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 got one ball bearing in there, and it's like kind of hidden away. And like you get all these like completely crazy price reels going for like 150 200 bucks they're like oh we have them sealed and whatever they talk all this big crap but then you get them dunked in salt water like once or twice and they just rust out on you they'll lock up but i've dunked my crossfire three times already like wild surf fishing get sand up in there nothing like i just rinse it with cold water cold water like tap water yeah just everything comes out thank you yeah, i think Sick the real what costs like 25 bucks yeah it cost me 25 bucks 29 with taxes it's, it's, it's not an expensive Solid. rod at all which definitely or an expensive reel because that definitely makes it a lot nicer yeah you know it's it's and if it does break well 25 bucks you know whatever not the end of the world yeah. it's not like breaking a you know 200 dollar reel that you know is like advertised as such a good you know reel it's i'd rather lose 25 than 200 yeah yeah, and it's and it's not even just cheap. It's a legit good reel too. I yeah. I started using one because I used when on came through Iowa. I had used his for a little bit, got a little baby channel catfish on it, and I was like, man, this reel is really nice. Because I've previously <laughs> been like a, you know how you kind of get like quote unquote married to one reel brand when you start using them a bunch. Oh yeah. Just like because I had previous, and I still mostly am a big Shimano user, but they've gotten so expensive lately. I'm like, all right, well, I'll try something else. I guess it's a bit cheaper. And then boom, Iowa Crossfire is now another reel. I need to put a new line on it. It's been sitting in the corner of my room for like a month because the old the, the old mono I had put on is finally getting all twisted up. Yeah. Get to like, Casey. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I'll do it this weekend. And then this weekend happens and I'm fishing the whole weekend. <laughs> I got to ask you. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I got to ask you, like, with the hard water coming through, the, the like, with ice fishing, do you hold your reputation as Catastova Day, Casey, or are uh, you not? Okay, so I, on caused me the uh, like Catastoma Day case because I like catching suckers, and they're hard to catch in the ice because you know they're a river fish, and yeah. it's hard to get on rivers in the winter. You can walk on most of ours in the winter, especially if we have a cold winter. And I ice fished the river a little bit last winter. That was my first time ever ice fishing, so I didn't catch anything. But I want to try and get suckers <laughs> through the ice this winter because that's a cool fish to catch through the ice, and it's not you know a very yeah. It's a very unorthodox fish to ice fish for. Because, you know, most ice fish, it's go catch crappie, bass, bluegills, walleye, whatever. But, you know, no one ice fishes a river. And one thing that I'm planning on doing again this winter, I've done it before, it's ice fishing for uh, burbot and lake sturgeon. Those are, those are cool. Because that's ice fishing on rivers is what we do it for. And, you know, when you're ice fishing and there's current, you know, flowing underneath you, it's kind of a little unsettling at first. But you realize you're standing on foot and a half of clear ice it's yeah it's fine but those are cool because sturgeon especially it's those things get you know five plus feet long and they're just swimming around in midwestern rivers and that's crazy pulling them up through a hole in the ice with a little noodle rod <laughs> is that a is that a different sturgeon than the really massive ones um on like the west okay, uh, like so on alaska the, so on, or yeah yeah it's a different species so on the yeah. west coast they have a green and white sturgeon which are those ones that get you know 10 plus feet long and that's a dream fish for me right there i'd love to catch one of those especially the white sturgeon the ones that get bigger and then in the midwest in the mississippi river drainage we've got shovel nose pallid and lake sturgeon and the shovel nose are the smallest and i think the most secure one there's a lot of them everywhere they do pretty well in most rivers 
all they need is sand and current and they're good to go. And Paladin Sturgeon are kind of like an enigma among Sturgeon because they're like a shovel nose Sturgeon, but just albino basically. <laughs> they're they're super white and ghostly and they're on the endangered species list. I think they are still. I'm not sure if they're on the national, the federal list or if they're threatened on the federal list, but I know they're endangered to Iowa. And, you know, people always catch them on like the Missouri river and stuff on the Western side of Iowa. And I'll, I'll see one post one, someone who I saw had posted one of the Missouri river in Iowa, like earlier this week, they caught two. And I'm just like, man, dang it. You know what, what am I going to do? That's three hours <laughs> away from me. Yeah. And, then we have lake sturgeon, which are the big ones that we get through the ice. Um, shovel nose and pallid sturgeon will only be found in rivers. They don't like, they won't live in lakes. They need current, basically. It's not that they okay. need it, but they heavily, heavily prefer it. Yeah. Uh, lake sturgeon, <laughs> I guess, with their name, can live in lakes. Yeah. And they often do live in lakes, but they migrate up rivers and stuff in the winter. And they also just live in rivers as well. Gotcha. So when we're. And the West East Coast has a couple has a bunch of other sturgeon species as well. I don't know all of them. I think they got Atlantic short nose and like Gulf sturgeon as well. Yeah, the Gulf sturgeon's yeah. weird. Yeah, they, they, they only up. feed in saltwater. They pop up in Texas. No, they do. So, so we've had a couple records from Texas freshwater, and they will migrate up here, but they do not eat when they're in freshwater. Gotcha. I think so, yeah. It's, it's impossible to catch them in freshwater and then you know in saltwater it's just also really hard to target them because yep. you imagine don't like, know where they are imagine yeah. just be hanging out surf fishing and you said like <laughs> you just catch a sturgeon that would be insanity it would be awesome where, where do they go in the in the ocean do they just just they just deep water eat stuff deep yeah water they just swim, swim around and eat dead things on the bottom but like yeah, you know, it's not plants. unheard of catching freshwater fish in salt in the surf here, especially like with gator gar. Yeah, I've there's heard a lot that. of yeah, there's a lot of shark fishermen that'll catch alligator gar in the surf. That'd be pretty uh, cool. I'd, I'd I mean, be I, I to handle an alligator gar in the surf than a big shark. I saw one landed um, on Indian Point Pier in Portland, uh, which is like right north of Corpus Christi. We were fishing for black drum there, and this guy's throwing a silver spoon off of the pier trying to catch trout and he hooks into this massive fish has like a 10 minute long fight lands it on the beach and it's a freaking gator bar it's like a nice three and a half foot gator bar just kind of chilling in the salt eating silver that, spoons that's that's another dream fish of mine is a gator gar. i'd love to just see one of those because i love those uh, like dinosaur fish because we got long nose and short nose gar and then we've got bowfin up here as well especially on the mississippi river side of the state they don't like to come up our interior rivers that much, and I just don't think the habitat's right for them in those. But we see a lot of them in our rivers and stuff. And, uh, they're such a cool fish, and again, they're just another misunderstood fish. Yeah. Uh, the first time I ever caught a bowfin was in the Mississippi River, just a backwater like lake. And I walked back to the spot, and there's these guys fishing here, and you know, scattered along the bank are just dozens of dead bowfin, and some of them pretty fresh. And you know, I watched those guys do it, and I'm just like, man. You know, I, I used to not be super vocal about talking to people about that. Cause I was, you know, like I was in high school, I was a really scrawny kid in high school and now I'm like, all right, I see you now that I've kind of grown up and matured a little bit and gotten, and I know way more what I'm talking about. And I see people like killing fish or, you know, purposefully wasting fish and it's illegal. And I, when I see people doing that, I always make sure to call them out. Or, yeah. Oh, I've seen Casey like bully them. Oh, I, I have. <laughs> I, for lack of a better word yeah um, yeah it's it's 
well in iowa i think in texas and in most states it's probably the same it's like wanted waste it's you know it's yeah it's yeah. illegal it's and missing a, a shared people, resource yep and i'll see people the biggest one that we have here is on my local waters it's big mouth buffalo and i will i will fight someone for those fish yeah and i love those fish so much and i'll see people you know bow fishing i i abs i i hate very few things in the world but bow fishing is one of them yeah I, <laughs> it's it, on your it, it's it, on your bio on instagram yeah <laughs> oh, i know I, yeah. <laughs> well for, you... I, I thought i thought about changing it to you know just quote, <laughs> just quote fuck bow fishing but i was like eh, some you know I, I want this to be a somewhat family friendly page so yeah are you not are you willing to ha- like sit down and have a converse uh, honest conversation with a like a bow fisherman and try to what I, that's usually you gotta what I come I, mm-hmm. in situations like this you gotta you gotta find uh like a middle ground usually yeah, yeah. And you that's gotta, usually what i try to do yeah especially if i could catch one and show them how to catch them on like hook and line and show them what a fun resource they are yeah people see that and they're like wow that's more fun than shooting fish in a barrel it's because <laughs> that's literally what it is for a lot yeah. of those and I'll try to talk to them and, you know, sometimes you can kind of maybe get to them and sometimes they don't care. Yeah. And, you know, if they don't care, I'm like, wow, all right, well, <laughs> you're just standing there with the bow and you're not fishing. So I'm going to stand right where you're standing because you're not fishing and I'm yeah. fishing. So that's my spot now. One of the things my friends and I will always love to do, especially when someone is, you know, just being a dick or like breaking some sort of rule there is it's, we call it popping the pimple. <laughs> and you can probably do it on like pier fishing where you stand on either side of them and you slowly get closer and closer to them until you know they get uncomfortable <laughs> and leave and go somewhere else uh we love doing that That's not funny. to just not to just random you know people who are minding their own business but yeah to people who are objectively going out of their way to make the river a worse place yeah, yeah. i mean it it's like yeah i mean you can just say fuck you but they just say fuck you back right you gotta yeah, yeah. if you actually you know people that are willing to actually talk you know, both fishermen that are willing to talk to you and i'll show you them how to catch to, these fish yeah yeah you gotta figure out how to how to reach them in a way that is you know successful well a lot of times it comes down to just a misunderstanding they think that buffalo are an invasive species yeah they think yep. they're a carp and they think they're bad and yep. you know i'll talk to them about it and i'll be like no they're a native fish there are invasive species in this water and we have a lot of common carp everywhere but in a major open river they're not destructive really because they're a generalist they're yeah. not going to outcompete really anything, and they're so nat- they're naturalized at this point that they're not really harming anything. Yeah. And I, I like common carp; I love catching them. But I'll be like, well, if you are going to shoot something, and you just want to kill it, at least make it a common carp because you're not killing a native species. And at that very least, and I'll share them with because bigmouth buffalo. A lot of people that know it is a pretty good eating food fish. It's a huge commercial food fish just for you think human consumption is well and they use it for a lot of times um it's, it's not the giant ones because their meat gets kind of you know any old fish you don't really want to eat but they you know the younger ones like the anything that's you know less than five pounds you fillet them and then you kind of stake up the fillets very good food fish it's like a nice white meat it's really good their, their scales are giant so you can just kind of get them off really easily yeah and I'll kind of tell them, I was like, yeah, there's a, some really good ways to cook them up and they're not very bony. So, you know, you can eat them pretty well. And, you know, nobody really knows that because they just assume they're a gross trash fish. <laughs> so I don't have any problem with bow fishing if you're using the resources you harvest from the river. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. Someone shooting a, 
buffalo and harvesting it to eat it is no different in my eyes than me catching it on hook and line and keeping it to eat it yep. it's not really and it's it, they're both legal so and if it's the legal ways and you're using the fish i don't really have that much of an issue with it but it gets to that point where people are just killing it just to kill it yeah and like i said it just boils down to that misunderstanding where they think they're harmful to the river yeah it's a uh, bow fishing for alligator gar is a big deal in texas yeah and it's like a real trophy like thing to like go out and get a trophy alligator gar at the bow mm. and it kind of it, it does jack me up because those are old fish and i'm fairly certain most of the people don't actually eat the fish they just like take a picture probably some of them do though but i um, imagine if they do a lot of the fish still goes to waste yeah well with, I don't know, with alligator gar like once you if you're going to put the effort to get the that top part off like most of the meat is there right on like it's like two big back straps that's most so, of yeah their their rib cage runs the entire length of their body up until their anal fin and so you're only going to be able to pull two big back straps yeah so they don't really like, have any other muscles yeah it's so like if you're going to go out and do that for people if anybody's listening that is a bow fisherman just know that like an alligator gar has two huge like back straps that are pure white meat boneless excellent to eat no reason to waste yeah. a, a gar. It's not that bad. It tastes pretty good. Yeah. They're just kind of a pain to get through their skin, of course. But yeah. it's, it's, all, it's all part of the experience for me. I think yeah. I think it's really fun to sit down and, and figure out how to clean different types of fish and, and, and game. You know? And all, I've had people ask me about like, oh, why do you go through all the trouble to clean these fish if they're difficult to clean? Why don't you just go catch something that's easier to clean? I'm like, well, like you said, it's about the experience. Yeah. About Every fish is a little different, different, different anatomies, you know, mm-hmm. different and skills. <laughs> You're missing there, out there's on a, a great sorry go ahead casey and like i said if you're you know you're missing out on what's a pretty good tasting food fish as well that yeah it's a pretty open market not a lot of people fish for like suckers and stuff it's so much food to get but you're gonna say on yeah i was saying that like i don't know if you guys have been keeping up with my instagram stories but like recently the cutlass fish they've moved into the texas coast and they're spawning right now and those are like the big long silvery toothy fish yeah they call them like yeah i saw that dude that looked very appetizing it is so good it is so good and people throw them back kill them leave them waste them whatever they use them as redfish bait and redfish don't even eat them that often (laughs) and it's like you are missing out on such a good resource there's no limits and it's such an easy fish to clean because all you have to do is like like, what are they called again um so like the cutlass fish or the cutlass yeah Their technical name is like large head hair tail. Gotcha. But you can just call them cutlass. It's like a, yeah. a long, um, like piece of tinfoil, dorsally, laterally compressed. Is that yeah. right? Like, yeah, like skinny, real skinny. And like the how you cooked it, like it's just like this beautiful, thin piece of meat, you know, and it looks so good. It's so and it's, cool. it's, it's like getting, you know, when you like got the ribs kind of cooking. Like, I don't know how well you smoke ribs, but like, you know, when the bone starts to like creep, creep out of the ribs and you get like an inch of bone sticking out. Yeah. Cause you, when you start smoking ribs, the bone is inside the meat portion. And as you smoke it, the meat shrinks around the rib and yeah. you get an inch to half an inch that happens on the fish and you're able to pull out the spine. So it's literally fall off the bone ribs. But One thing fish. I've never been able to do is, I've never really liked it that much as actually just frying the fish whole. I, I've, I've always just been like, I got to fillet it instead. Just eat the fillets. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just a visual kind of mental thing. Cause you know, it tastes the same, but just like, I just, just 
just just fillet it instead. Yeah, I've I've never been able to like because I know you still gotta like gut the fish. And I don't have to do that instead. With trout, you gotta gut them because they're <laughs> meat and guts are all in the same kind of place. Yeah, I've never really been able to do that. Yeah, and you gotta try it. Whole fried fish is different. I I have to. Just... Oh, and I, I mean, and I think if like, they walk in, yeah. With big gator gar, I know that there's people like you know, you said that there's those two top loins that you can harvest on a gator gar. When you have like a big three, three and a half, four foot gator guard, their their ribs are, actually have a lot of meat in between them. So there's this YouTuber, um, this is channel Los Canaleros, and they're like the South Texas based gator guard fishermen. And a lot of their catching cooks, you'll see them like chop off the loins and then take those ribs and kind of stick them up into like pork ribs. They'll look like baby backs. And They'll fry those up, pull out the rib bones, and you can get like fish ribs out of Gator Bar too. It's gotta be a bigger fish, fish though. Yeah, yeah. Like right. over three and a half, four feet, you're gonna get yeah. And we, we don't want to harvest anything over four feet, right? Yeah, <laughs> we don't. Nothing for, if you could catch if you're gonna if you just wanna eat alligator gar, there's no reason you can't just go and catch two to four footers and eat those. You know, there's no reason to although at the same harvest time, a big I feel female. Like... I feel like just a big, like, short nose or, like, spotted gar probably tastes pretty similar to what a gator oh, gar same. tastes like. Yeah. Yeah. Same. And at, same. at that point, just go catch one of those because they're not as – I and they're a bit more common of a fish, I feel like. Yeah. And they're yeah. a bit more secure as a fish, too. And, I mean, yeah. they live half the time. So yeah. a big gator gar would be, like, 60 to 70 years, 70 years old, you know. But spotted gar live max 30 years. Uh, so if you're catching yeah. – like if you're catching big spotted gar, they could be anywhere between 80, 18 to 30 years old. Cause they kind of just like max out at around three and a half, four feet. So it's I would very, for a smaller fish, that's old compared yeah, to that's like really old. bass and stuff, like not living yeah. over 20, I would assume, right? No, they would they wouldn't live over like 20. one cool thing that we have, I guess, up here is a lot of our fish can live to be pretty old up in like the upper Midwest because uh, flathead catfish can get pretty old. Badass fish. Uh, Badass fish. I'll get I'll get those at that spillway that I was talking about earlier as well. Uh, swinging big like swim baits that are like this long like really white. Well, yeah, well, artificial. Yeah, it's it's so much fun because when so they cool. when they hit, it's just bump and it's just dead weight. It's so cool and they're in heavy current, so they just kind of wedge their head down into the current. And they just sit there, and you can't get their head up above. Um, on, did we hook one when you were here? I don't know if we actually hooked one. No, we were actually trying to catch the coalition flathead, but yeah. we didn't end up doing yeah. it. I think Cody submitted that. Yeah, like one, I think it was Cody or Jarrett who had submitted it. But yeah, there are such what? cool fish. What was it? Oh, was that so? We did I tell you about that. Uh, we're doing it's for 2021. It's a 1,000 species. Coalition. I follow the page. Yep. I follow yep. the page. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how close we are, but I want to talk. I'll talk about that in a second. But I want to finish. This. Okay, okay, yeah, go ahead. It was it like flatheads can get super old, but one fish that can get super old. And I don't know if you've read this is big mouth buffalo. Uh, it was um, Alec Lackman at North Dakota State University did a study, and I don't remember how it was, but he dated it, and it, there was a lot of uh, like research that went into it. It was that some big mouth buffalo can live to be over 100 years old. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they, they, I don't remember what it was, how they dated, how they managed to date them, but it, I believe it was the otolith. Yeah, that's what that's the word. That's what it was. But they found them to be over 100 years old in like Minnesota and North Dakota. And 
I don't know if that's just a regional because I had talked to someone who said that they, who was pretty qualified in that field who said they wouldn't live to be that old in other regions, which didn't really make sense to me. It's the same species, but that's that takes a long time to grow that fish. Like they're super important fish, and people just harvest them for like like crazy. Like I said, they're really popular target of bow fishermen because at night they come up to the surface and just kind of swim around slowly. That's a pretty easy target for someone with a spotlight and a bow. And a 20 pound big mouth buffalo, I think was, you know, probably the same amount of years, 20 years old or so. They're super old fish. And they had really low like recruitment classes when they were spawning and reproducing in a lot of Midwestern rivers. So you have a really top heavy population of a lot of old fish that are being harvested at a pretty alarming rate and not a very stable base of young yeah. fish. And that's, that's not a good recipe for the next few years. It's like, they'll live to be a long age and there's a lot of them. So it's not as alarming of a thing. If you just look at a graph, like one of those kind of reverse bells that shows the uh, age. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of them. They're a super common fish, but it's interesting to think about how those could live to be 100 years old. Cause the dam that I catch them at was built in the seventies and there's probably fish swimming around that were alive before that dam was built. And one day they just showed up and there's like, what's this thing here? Yeah. they're <laughs> the other and the crazy thing is the other buffalo species like black and smallmouth buffalo don't live to be that old i think they live to be like 20 to 25 years max it's just these big mouth buffalo for some whatever reason it's really it's cool a long time on you mentioned otoliths yeah you want to talk about those those are pretty unique right yeah so otoliths are kind of like the ear bones that you find inside the fish's head and they're going to be at the base of the spinal cord where it connects the spine spine where it connects to the head just kind of behind the gills. It really depends on the species where exactly they are, but it you pull that bone out, it's like looking at tree rings. And what happens is that each year, fish will put on a certain amount of weight and that bone will grow in correlation to that. So you can literally count the rings on that bone and age the fish to how many years old it was. And in larval fish, they actually put on rings by the day so you can age a larval fish by the amount of rings it has so like with flounder we can take larval flounder otoliths and it, we, we do this at our lab at the heart research lab in in tem ucc but you could take out the little otoliths from larval flounder and age them to the day wow because they're adding yeah just once they get past that larval stage they're adding to it maybe like over the course of a year but to a larval fish, a day is pretty dang long. Oh yeah, for sure. That's that's probably pretty foundational in, in fisheries biology. Yeah. Like groundbreaking. Like that was it's if you can count rings on a tree and you can count rings on a fish and kind of tell the age of both of them, I think I think that's the coolest concept. Pretty cool. In, yeah. You can also do it with some scales. Some fish have scales that grow in rings. Yeah. over the years but not all yeah one of the mistakes i made with buffalo fishing is we had caught one at that spill it was over that was like 40 40 45 pounds and i was there with my friend who was the fisheries like biology student at iowa state and we had released it and we're like crap we should have taken a scale sample so we could run it back up there and you know get it checked out <laughs> yeah, it forgot about that that would, have, that would have been cool to see how old that fish was yeah because our growing season is pretty short up here as well because we have you know two, three months of winter, maybe sometimes four, where fish really don't eat that much. 
they don't do a whole lot because their metabolism slows down so much during that period. And they yeah. really only feed heavily, especially Buffalo. They really only feed heavily probably six or seven months out of the year. Tell me this. Um, so you're fishing for a lot of species that are vastly overlooked in the fishing yeah. community. How, do you ever contribute to any sort of research or science of fishes in Iowa or do you aspire to, or if you post, if you post on iNaturalist, that's probably, you know, valuable, but. I've downloaded the app of iNaturalist. I've just never been able to get into posting it. Yeah, One of the things, one of the things I guess with Iowa is we don't really have any rare species in Iowa. I don't think there's really any super geographically like divergent areas. It's like, I guess, in you know, like you look at places like the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, how many darter species are being discovered there all the time. All the endemics. Each one of them is used unique to their own stream. But think about Iowa, we've got like five species of darters that are really common. We've got like Rainbow, Fantail, and Johnny Darter. They're they're literally like the most common in the U.S. We don't, I guess we just don't have the waters and like that geographic isolation to really sustain those populations. I'd love to like contribute into that someday. And I was talking to the, uh, the, uh, like, I think it was the doctor who was in charge of running the, uh, that big mouth buffalo study and he wanted to come down to where i was catching buffalo and sample some of the ones that i was catching and just see how i was catching them as well because yeah. you know most people think of catching big mouth buffalo you either have to use these little tiny algae look at things or you have to get lucky with like while you're carp fishing and here i am we'll get them eating live shad sometimes <laughs> yeah that's interesting stuff it's always good if you, if you can while you're out doing your thing you know they're, they're the things we're all so passionate about but also contribute to science along the way if you can. Yeah, that was a good thing. Um, so yeah, that's yeah, one of the things. It's I wrote a paper on it my freshman year of college about, and I've been trying to get to them. It's just I don't know if they will. And I've been trying to get enough ground behind it is to put like a is for the Iowa DNR to put a bag limit on something like big mouth buffalo, just to kind of show that you know well it's not like you know in danger yet. If you look at like future trends and past trends of how their population is becoming very top heavy that's alarming and maybe they should be you know reared in hatcheries or should be a bag limit to keep people from over harvesting you know 20 25 fish a day yeah and (laughs) not eating a single one no rarely it's like oh where are you what are you gonna do with that fish oh it's fertilizer oh so you're just gonna throw it away that's that's the answer it's fertilizer just means they're gonna go throw it in a field and forget about it (laughs) we've we've been kind of talking about this uh and waste thing and it's just so important for people listening. When we're talking about fish and, and you know wildlife resources, these are shared resources. We don't we don't want to waste these valuable resources that are that are for all of us. Um, so yeah, like you're throwing a fish on the bank, like don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and um, one of the like eat it or throw it back. You know. And one of the things it's it's not just wasteful of that fish, but do you know how, in the summer when it gets hot? Do you know how bad dozens of dead fish on the shoreline smells oh my god yeah, yeah you go to your fishing spot and there's dead fish everywhere it smells and, and, like and not when it's just dead. like some secluded spot. Looks when, like it's shit. Like a, when it's like a public you know like city yeah. park and people are like walking their kids around and stuff and there's just dead fish skeletons everywhere and there's flies buzzing around it's like that's not cool and there's signs that say no dumping but you know there's no one there to enforce them so people just throw them on the bank yeah yeah we just we need to be we need to be better stewards of our uh, our natural resources. And if people are, you know, it, it's 
like I said, it's a misunderstanding thing and it's a bigger thing and just selfishness. And, you know, it's, it'll eventually come back to bite people in the butts. Like where'd all these fish go? What happened yeah. to them? And yeah. one, I think it was a friend who had told me who was a big like white bass and wiper fisherman. And he's pretty much strictly, strictly release on them. But it was, you know, the same people who complained that the uh, carp and gar are eating all the eggs are the same people who keep, you know, 20, 25 fish every time they go fishing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah. You know, the answer to why you're not seeing as many fish is, you know, right under your nose. And during the, during the time of year when, when the females have, are full of eggs and yeah, like not paying any attention and to that's that. That's why the wipers run big time is when they're full of mm -hmm. eggs is when they're spawning. Yeah. Uh, just this last spring, it was a post at one of my favorite spots. We hadn't seen very many wipers at all. And some guy posted a picture of him laying in the parking lot in the bed of his truck with over a dozen wipers, all over eight, nine pounds, you know, all dead full of eggs. And we're just like, man, I, I'm glad that we weren't there to see that guy. Yeah. We would have, you know, we probably would have convinced him into releasing him. Or, you know, one of the things we'll do when we see someone keep like a giant, like flathead or something, because, you know, it takes a long time to grow that resource. One of the yeah. things we'll do is like, hey, we'll go catch you a bunch of channel cats because the DNR stocks those if you release that flathead. Yeah. It's like you don't want to eat that big fish anyways. The meat is not that good on those. They suck. I, um, well, I've heard big, like out of all the catfish, or, or if you're comparing like blue cats to flatheads, big flatheads can eat well. I've heard, I've eaten flatheads. Small flatheads is very good. Yeah. It's better than channel cat. That, that's the thing. It's the problem is the fish we're trying to protect is also a really good tasting fish. It is good fish. <laughs> I had a big 40 pound blue cat once when I was a kid. I caught it on a, uh, on a trot line. I set this trot line out specifically to catch a huge blue cat fish out in Sam Rayburn. And I, uh, I baited it up with cut blue, big cut bluegill and uh, super pumped, caught it. And I wanted to eat it. I was like, I don't know, 12 years old, had zero conservation ethics at this point. Um, and it was disgusting. You know, the, uh, what is that? What is the, um, like when you like fish meat, it's, it's sections. What, what is that called? There's a name for it. I learned it in ichthyology. Like the striations within the meat? Yeah, there's, there's a, there's something that's uh -huh. called something. Anyway, there were huge chunks. That was disgusting. Like when the meat flakes off, like yeah. just big yeah. flakes of meat, yeah. Yeah, there, there's a term for it. I can't, I never remember it, but it was so they were so big, it was just not not appetizing at all. Really weird, yeah. The texture, yeah, just the texture in general, it was it was disgusting. I would never eat anything like that the again. Like, the like back straps on like small flatheads are very good. Are they? They're bad. They're much better than channel cats, in my opinion, which sucks. Cause it's like we should preserve these fish because they're one of the premier game fish in our rivers, and they're not stocked. And you'll see people keeping a 40 pound flathead catfish and it's just like gosh man you know how much energy and how much fish went into making that thing as big as it is that's myomirs myomirs that's what i was thinking of okay yeah i can i can remember it yeah the myomirs <laughs> what is i guess what is the um, most unorthodox i guess andrew this is more for you but because i know on you eat a lot of like random stuff and it's really cool to see i see it all of your story but andrew what's like the most unorthodox fish you've ever eaten Man, I mean, I've eaten spotted gar. Um, yeah. That's, you know, for for the area where I'm from, you know, if you tell people you ate a spotted gar, they would look at you like you're like really weird. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't eaten any, anything too crazy. Um, what about Sam? I, I, I ate hooded merganser this week, which is a, a duck that most people yeah. – 
either don't shoot or they toss because you know they think they just taste like fish ironically yeah, I um, as well it's they're pretty good uh, yeah it, it tastes fine you know the only thing i think probably the, the reason why people don't like to eat them or, or shoot them is um they are hard to clean the the yeah, the, the the skin does not peel off the breast meat very easily, and it's it's kind of a pain in the ass. No, I don't know what you're talking but about. It, you know, the meat to me it tastes the same. I don't. I guess all I guess, duck I guess, is just a very rich meat. That uh, any waterfowl is because with duck we don't really eat it, you know, separately. Because we get back from duck hunting, we cook up some breakfast, you know, bacon, ham, and then we just throw the duck in the pan as well. <laughs> oh yeah, part of the breakfast is usually pretty good. Never thought to do that, you know, fresh yeah. fresh duck still moving. Yeah, you know, dude, you got to put me on some butts. It's yeah. Duck hunting is a cool thing. It's it's another way to. I'm so uh, amped. Yeah, it's it's duck hunting is weird because that's another thing where you look at like resources and you wonder like I've always liked to look at like our resources and like our regulations and like the amount of things you can keep. Because you guys have, I'm guessing in the winter especially, you guys probably have a lot of Canada geese come down your way. We have zero Canada geese that make really? it as far south. They do not make it to the coast. Do you guys just not have any local Canada geese that are hanging out down there? Every down, like uh, in East Texas, uh, on some of the reservoirs, there are some Canada geese that stick around. And I mean, they're fair game during hunting season, but you know, it's kind of understood that they're non migratory and they're not, you know, uh, you really guys, wild yeah. birds. <laughs> oh, we get snow geese. The okay. Snow geese are, are, and speckle belly geese are uh, okay. yeah. white fronted geese. That makes kind of sense. Are the so we have so many Canada geese up here yeah. and they poop everywhere they hiss at you and they chase you around yeah, yeah they're, they're a nuisance up here but you yeah. can only shoot two of them that's our or it's like two or three is our limit i'm like there's millions of them flying overhead <laughs> you tell me i can only shoot yeah. three <laughs> i will say with, with waterfowl the way they survey for them they, they do have a good handle yeah. on populations and like they do Almost, these aerial yeah, surveys by helicopter and they you know, know. they they have a, they know how many are out there and what, what is sustainable for the harvest usually. One thing that I have that I, I, I know back in like, I think like before 2000, I know like Canada geese numbers were insanely low Yep. and they had to like basically shut down hunting on them for a while. So they could come back and they've come back, but you know, <laughs> uh, there's yeah. been times during their migrations though, where I know the Des Moines International Airport has had to shut down flights because there were so many geese flying around that they couldn't take planes off safely. Yep. I was like, you know, give me a, a give me a box of like shotgun shells and let me sit at the end of the runway and you guys won't have a problem. Yeah. It's fine, you know, we'll deal with it for you. So, are you a uh, a casual duck hunter or do you get pretty serious about it? Or um, somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Do you, yep. What kind of what species are, do y'all typically hunt there besides um, Canada geese? A uh, lot of mallards. A lot of mallard yep. ducks up here. Um, those are the main one. It's 90% of the ducks we shoot. Oh, wow. Early season, you get all like the, uh, you know, the other kind of ducks. because Migrating through. Yeah, a lot of the other migrated ducks, you get like teals. Uh, we get a lot of teals early in the season. We have a special season in like mid, like late September for them. Yep. Same here. That, the, those are fun. Those things are hard to hit. They're fast. Oh, yeah. Blue wing teal mainly. It, yep. Every now and then people kill green wing teal, um, we, but it's, it's the actually, blue wings that migrate first, really. We got a bunch of green wings last year. Not really yeah it's kind um, of get, yeah on the topic of teal it's kind of funny to me because uh we have you know early teal season and it's it was really made for blueing teal mm -hmm. but there's you know the green wing teal it's called a teal but they're actually not very close relatives at all a green so wing is very much, different much, looking ducks a green wing teal is much a much closer relative to like a pintail and, and then a blue wing teal is a much is a very close relative to a to a northern shoveler 
So it's always, it's kind of like a misnomer yeah, thing. They're, like They're <laughs> very different looking. We get a yeah. lot of other things like, uh, like lesser and greater scop. We get a lot of those, yeah. uh, gadwall, widgeons. Um, one of our favorite things, we don't know what it is. Ah, it's, it's a widget. <laughs> We're like looking at it on a pond. It's like, ah, there's probably a widget out of it. It's one yeah. of those ducks where no one really, they're a really nondescript duck and everyone's just like, yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Um, we get a lot of shovelers as well. Yeah. Shovelers are not a very good eating duck, I don't think. Man, that's, that's something we talk about a lot down here. And, and I believe they are, but okay. you know, some people say they aren't. I have, but <laughs> I have thought their meat is just very, very tough. Yeah. It's tough. For the type of, for yeah. the type of preparing we do, they're not really that good for the preparing we do. Gotcha. I guess I should rephrase. It's not that they're bad. It's just, and I guess I'm sounding, I guess I'm sounding kind of like a hypocrite to what I was talking earlier. It's just, <laughs> I don't want to go through the work of preparing it. Right. Yeah. But I guess we still do, you know, harvest to eat it or, yeah. you know, it becomes dog food, but. You, know, you may find this interesting food. that um, kind of like Canada geese, we don't get very many green uh, mallards at all. Okay. I guess they um, probably stop somewhere in you they know, stop. the central U.S. Arkansas, you know, that's a lot of them concentrate there in this flyway. It's about um, as far south as the ice gets. So, you know, that's where, where they stop. Yeah. And that's so like, if you do harvest the mallard, it's a big deal. That's like a very sought after species. You ever uh, shot a banded bird? I, I have. Um, I got a banded model duck, which that's kind of the more common one we, okay. uh, that you're going to get around here because they're, they don't migrate. They're a, a a true southeast texas bird that stays year-round in our marshes okay. and they're very well uh, closely managed and they, they band a lot of them where we hunt so okay. it's not unheard of to get a banded model yeah. duck but we, very we exciting a lot of, uh, we do have end up having a lot of geese that stay local here because if we have a slightly warmer winter some of our lakes won't fully freeze in southern iowa so you know as long as there's open water they'll stick around Brings up an interesting point. We're having a very slow start to duck season here on the Texas coast. Okay. And my thought was probably where you're at, up, you know, up north, the ponds haven't and the wetlands haven't frozen over yet. No, Is that yet. true? Um, if you go about two or three hours north of me, you'll start seeing frozen water. Yeah. But where I'm at in the next probably two or three weeks, it'll probably start to freeze. Yeah. So And once yeah, the freeze we, happens, it happens fast. Yeah. We just, usually we have a pretty gym, like the past couple of years, I haven't actually hunted the, the first half of the season, the last couple of years, missed it, but they've had a pretty jam up uh, opening weekend and the first few weeks are really good. But this year is really slow and um, who knows why, but it's got to be something about the weather and, you know, up north that they haven't been pushed down yet. Well, it, I, one thing we've noticed in the last, and my dad has been duck hunting for 20 plus years and one thing yep. he said he's noticed in the last 10 or so years is that the duck migration has been getting later and later especially the huge mallard it's just been getting later and later every single year to yes. the point where we've had some seasons where the big migrations of mallards don't even come down until the season is over oh wow that's you know, uh because goose season so our duck season ends like december 15th usually mid-december and goose season goes to like mid-january gotcha. so we'll go down and we'll goose hunt through mid-january because they're around and we'll be down in mid-January goose hunting, and there's thousands upon thousands of mallards everywhere. We're like, man, you can't shoot them. Not even, yeah, no, it's just, it, it's it's just painful just watching them fly 20 yards over your head, not even scared of you anymore. So, do you hunt public land up there? Do you have you know, uh, private? We, have or? Pub, we hunt a lot of public land. And what what is that like? Is it so uh, most of it's around reservoirs? So most okay. of our reservoirs, the upper ends where it's kind of like a marshier kind of type of those where the rivers coming in. It's kind of that yeah on the north end. 
Yeah. And most of our big reservoirs in Iowa, we have like, we have four like truly big ones and they're all on major rivers. Almost the entire lake and its surrounding area, like immediately surrounding the lake is public land. Gotcha. Which Iowa does a pretty good, although Iowa has really low public land because it's all agricultural, but yeah. our lakes are public and you can use those. So like yeah, we, Army, Army Corps of Engineers land or something? Yeah, yeah, a lot of times. And, you know, there's marshes and we'll just, you know, set up buckets and some tall grass and throw a big spread of decoys out. And, yeah. And just call. Yeah. Do I, I call, a lot, you, yeah. Do I call yeah, a lot or? Yeah, uh, I don't call a lot yet. I have my uh, call hanging in my car. So on long car rides, I'll oh, me too. by myself, I'll just kind of start duck calling. You know, pass <laughs> someone. I'll pass someone with like the duck call. I'll just look over at them and just give them away and just keep going. Same here. That I always get weird looks. I feel like I think I'm like like smoking something. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to practice without annoying the crap out of anyone. You know. Yeah. It uh down here we I mean like I said we don't get a lot of mallards so I always felt like blowing a mallard call. I mean it truly can help in some situations, but um I feel like ducks are pretty smart and you know sticking to whistles and and gadwall calls down here is more useful in Do my view. A wood duck down there. Yeah, we have a lot of wood ducks, um, you know, in the, the Piney Woods region, we get a lot of wood ducks. They pop up in the marshes on the coast, but they're just lost and they got yeah. they got in with some teal or something. They're not a marsh bird necessarily, but yeah, we usually still see them a lot. We see them there. a lot of here early, very early in the migration. They're one of the first birds to go through. Yeah. They're, yeah. They have such a cool sounding call. It's more like kind of like a cry than a call than anything else. It's, it's cool. not like your traditional quack. Because yeah. one thing one thing that I have when we're duck hunting more than anyone we hunt with, and I'll brag about this because I know it's true, is I have really good ears for picking up when something's coming. Is I can hear the wings. Yeah, I or even with I mean everyone can hear with Canada geese, you can hear them from miles away. They are so loud. It's you'll hear them, and then you know maybe ten minutes later they'll finally you'll they'll, you'll finally be able to see them, and they're flying. They're they're so incredibly loud. Yeah. Yeah, it's but yeah, I love hearing like the whistling wings of ducks when they fly overhead. Yeah. Yep. So Ann and I are, are we have a duck hunt planned um, on the coast uh, in December, and it's a walk-in hunt. And the, the culture of hunting in this area, it's very competitive. You'll get out there if you want to get a good spot, you need to get get to the to the walk-in spot at like midnight, and you sleep in yeah, your truck. Yeah. That's very you, you start walking at you can start you can walk into the refuge at 4 a.m. and it's uh, free for all out there. Some people run, you know, they're running to the ponds and it's like two miles out there. You got waders <laughs> on and it's it's a uh, it's a whole experience. On is going to be a he's going to have Dude. a culture shock, I think. <laughs> I still don't have a firearm. No, My you're good, man. I, I got you. No, 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 you're good, man. I, we we'll like, get you set up. We we'll get you set no, up. With camo, nothing. I am yeah. still like just I'm. So I got a brown jacket, and some brown jeans, and you're good to go. I got Bro, a jacket so for shirtless. You. I got a jacket <laughs> for you. I got an extra gun for you. It's all, and we can. Uh, well, we got to get you waiters. Waiters are. Important. I got waiters. I just had a broken Oh, as long as you got waiters, you're solid. Um, although I will say with that, <laughs> I just got invited to go duck hunting in in Arkansas. It's Ooh, uh, awesome. it's just like the the top duck hunting in the world in the U.S. Really, yeah. um, it's kind of subjective, but. Um, it's, a, it's basically like a free guided hunt. Um, we're gonna have to, so we're gonna have to reschedule our. It's that same weekend that we were hoping to do it, but yeah, I think yeah. there's there's got to be plenty more opportunities for us to make that hunt. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Our our duck hunting is a lot more relaxed. Although we hunt, you know, 
two hours away from any you know big population center in Iowa so it's not as big of a deal there's a few locals yeah. who hunt that area obviously yeah. and if you go to a local duck spot you have to get competitive and get there early yeah. but ours will wake up at you know four in the morning because yeah. we have a, a small trailer that we'll stay at in southern Iowa near where our uh, hunting lake is so you know we'll we'll go down there for a weekend and spend down there wake up early um yeah. wake up at 4 a.m or so drive down we've got a boat but if there's only a couple of us we'll just go sit up on you know a five gallon bucket somewhere on the shoreline and just hang out yeah and you know we'll find a marsh we've got a few spots where we've built kind of like ground blinds using like down trees and stuff just kind of oh, stack yes. them up make it look natural and we'll just sit on some buckets throw out decoys you know get the dogs to calm down so they don't want to you know run out every time <laughs> there's you know a shot and then you know just kind of be patient and wait for yeah. flights to start I think it's like a, yeah, it's, we've had some mornings where it's insane and some mornings where it's just, you know, dead. Yeah. It's kind of best mornings. Yeah. Go ahead. Down here, we get birds that are like, this is their ending point. So they're, they're, they're getting shot at, you know, from yeah. Canada down. So they're pretty smart when they get here. Yeah. So we like, we really have to cover up. And uh, I mean, every, and every species of duck is a little different. Some of them are smarter than others. Uh, but up, up there, you'll probably, Y'all are serious about cover, but it's probably not as big of a deal because I'll get fresh birds. It, it can be. Uh, we're because yeah. we're out, we we hunt the water the like flyway we hunt on is also a shrinking flyway because we hunt because Iowa has the Missouri River Flyway and the Mississippi River Flyway, and yeah. we hunt in between those two. So we get a lot you. of like you know local like more like pond hopping birds instead of you know big flyways and stuff i got you yeah and so i guess ours don't get shot at as much because there's not a whole lot of area for people to hunt them because it's all just agricultural land but yeah our style hunting is pretty relaxed we don't yeah we'll take it seriously if it's really good but our best mornings have always come when there's only a couple of us and it's right as the season's about to end yeah as have always been our best mornings have you ever thought about we're talking about like life listing and stuff with fish uh, there's a challenge it's like the north american waterfowl challenge to go harvest every waterfowl species every every duck everything in the anata day every have, goose and duck in the u.s that'd be really cool in north america i have shot a canada goose uh mallard duck uh blue and green winged teal um lester scott and a hooded mergenser those are those are what i've shot yeah and got a ways to the go Mergen, <laughs> the mergenser yeah I, but it's I shot plenty of mallards though, so it's yeah. the Mergenser I shot was a hen too. It wasn't even the uh, you know big drake yeah. that looked all cool and stuff. I got two hens this past weekend, or yeah, two. Yeah, I'm going out not this weekend, but next weekend we're spending a whole weekend out. So that's the first time I've been out all fall for hunting at all. So I'm looking forward to that. So you're gonna you're gonna skip fishing for the weekend? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> it's gonna be uh, cast and blast. Cold. <laughs> cast and blast. It's yeah. gonna be very cold, so I don't really want to go fishing <laughs> in that weather. Sometimes it's not worth it. You guys, when you guys like duck hunt in Texas, what kind of weather do you guys hunt? Cold. It, it's well, yeah. <laughs> Your summer. Okay. All right. Right. It, it gets, uh, yeah, early season, it can be pretty warm and there's uh, millions of mosquitoes. Oh, God. Um, I couldn't even I couldn't But handle it's, that. yeah, we try, definitely prefer to go when we get a nice cold front. You know, it's mm -hmm. usually more birds anyway um, yeah. after a good front and. Yeah, it's cool. Like, yeah, most of our our ideal duck hunting morning is like around freezing is the temperature when the sun comes up, which Jesus. is you know awful to you guys. But that's you know no that's warm for November standards here. Yeah, is when it's at freezing at sunrise. But yeah. a lot of times what we'll get in November is because we're if we're near a lake, especially and we get a you know a 
oddly cold or an oddly warm day, something off the temperature, we get a lot of fog, which is so much fun to hunt. And I'm sure you've probably hunted in fog. Yeah. You know, you can, you, the birds can't see you as well. Cause yeah, that, but some people think that they don't fly as much in the fog. So that's another thing to think about. We've never really had that issue, but we hunt yeah. bigger reservoirs and they're always, yeah. moving, there's always some bird moving around. I've, I've shot birds in the, in the fog, but um, it's, yeah, that's one of those things that people are like, Oh, if it's foggy, maybe it's not gonna be a, a, well, all a of great... my best mornings have been foggy mornings. It's really without a doubt. It's, with hunting and stuff, it's all, all anecdotal. Nobody's keeping good. Yeah. Although with foggy mornings, it's been it's really fast for about two hours. Then once if the fog's still around after a couple hours, it just dies. Yeah. You get that more you get those morning couple flights and they just they just stop really going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, we uh sometimes if it's like the early morning flight sucks and you, you stick it out till 10, 11 o'clock, yeah, you actually kill a bunch. You get like that lunch <laughs> rush of uh where we we have a, we have a uh, you ever hunted out of a boat because we have Yep. we have a boat that we'll hunt out of and it's always the breakfast the breakfast bell always brings birds in without a doubt once we start cooking breakfast a bird flies over and once we start <laughs> handing breakfast out to people a bird flies over yeah. every without failure every single time i don't know if they can like smell like eggs and bacon from far away or <laughs> downwind from us you know maybe yeah. there's some science behind that that or when you're going to pick up decoys oh yeah they're flying oh, yeah. <laughs> No, no, we always have one person dedicated to not unload their gun until we are in done for the day. Like we are pushing the boat off the shore to go back. Then we unload the gun. Last last weekend, first and only hunt of the season so far for me. Walking out to grab some birds and uh, shot two mergansers as I was walking across the pond. They flew yeah. in range over me. I was like, uh, mergansers are kind of dumb, so was it too surprising? Would not expect a gadwall or you know yeah. any of the puddle ducks to do such a thing, but. We had a, we had one morning, it was, it was a marsh. It was a really out of the ordinary year where we had super high water in the fall. Cause that's usually our dry months is like early fall, but we had, you know, near flood stage or above flood stage. And this marsh was flooded up and we had walked down into there and, you know, there's a gravel road. We drive down, there was a big putt on the gravel road. We turned the corner of the gravel road and there were like, you know, five ducks sitting in this puddle in the middle of the night. So we already knew we were going to have a good morning. <laughs> so we walked down there, we parked. And the moment, like the time hits the right time to shoot, the, D the DNR guy who we actually know who works down there, he knows us. He doesn't even stop us anymore because, you know, he knows our truck and he knows who we are. He knows we follow the law. So he'll stop, say what's going on, and then he'll just keep going. But he was hunting there. So we're like, all right, no one shoot early. <laughs> <laughs> no one shoot early. But, you know, yeah. once shooting time came around, it was just birds flying all over the place. And there was a lot of wood ducks that morning because it was super early in the season. Yep. And they were just all over the place. But, you know, by 7.30, 8 a.m., it was done. Yeah. It, was, it was completely done. But we had shot, you know, between three of us, we'd already knocked down eight birds in, you know, an hour. Yeah. It was just done. You ever, you ever get anybody pulling pull the early trigger, like 15 minutes before shooting time? Uh, we've heard it. No one in our group has ever done it, at least when I'm there. Oh, yeah. No, but, yeah, same here. I, I, I we've, we've, we've heard some people doing it, and we're just like, ooh. Yeah. It's like you can't even see what you're shooting at at that point. <laughs> right. you gotta, yeah, you got to hold hold till shooting time. Yeah, we, one, go ahead. Yeah, one thing we get a lot of down here that always mistakes us at a distance is uh, cormorants. Oh, yeah. A lot of those. Those are everywhere. They get gone by, you know, early December is when they're fine because they get pushed down pretty quickly. Yeah. So they're, it's like, oh, I see geese coming out. Never mind. Can you shoot a cormorant? Uh, no. No, you don't want to shoot cormorants. It's uh, it's off uh, 
off limits and also yeah. you, I don't think you would want to eat one either. I don't think you probably uh, have much uh-huh. meat on them. Yeah. They're not uh, a very big bird. They're not a very, they're got long wings and a long yeah. neck and that's about it. I'm sure y'all would want to take some out. They're big fish eaters eat, stealing y'all's fish. <laughs> no, I love them. I love the mallard spots. We we had a we had one where we were sneaking up on these uh, mallard ducks, and they were we we're calling them over from the other side of the lake. They saw our decoys instead of flying. You know, they decided to swim across the lake instead. But they were <laughs> just out of range, and this bald eagle flies overhead. It jumps both of them off and spooks them away from us. We're just like, man, sounds about right. We spent a good half hour calling these ducks across the lake, trying to get them to fly over. You know, they're lazy. Yeah, I see a lot of bald eagles while I duck, and they're always cool. Yeah, do you guys have any bald eagles down in Texas? Or? Oh yeah, I was, um, I've been working at a site all week this week. It's a, a stream rest, restoration site, um, and there's a huge bald eagle nest on the site. It's it's like mine. I've never seen a bald eagle nest up close. They they weren't okay. around this week for some reason. Um, that, that pair, I don't know, they're off foraging or something, hunting. But the nest was like just apparently they have one of the largest nests in the world, yeah, maybe yeah, the yeah, largest. Yeah, yeah. Like huge sticks, like three feet long sticks yeah, that, yeah. that's made out of. How do they carry um, those? They just pick up them. We we do have bald eagles and they're becoming more and more common, you know. That's as, cool. Yeah, we, we have a lot around here. Uh we had I think like eight years ago. I don't know if they use that nest anymore, but it was someone had a bald eagle nest on their property and they'd managed to get a live streaming camera right next to the nest. So it was a 24 7 live stream feed of this bald eagle nest and you could see the parents come back you could see the eggs and we watched the eggs hatch and stuff it was a really cool camera yeah. like they had like cooperated with like the iowa dnr to make sure it was okay to do that yeah. but like they had managed to get a live stream nest on there and that was that was really cool because it was neat. it was a nest that was lower to the ground and a huge tree so they were able to actually safely get a camera there yeah it's a cool is not not a whole lot of stuff like that in the wild that you really get to see yeah some of my buddies recently got, got me into like identifying and looking for owls. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, owls, owls are such a cool bird. They're cool. You get the you get because you get those giant like great horned owls that are huge. You ever seen like it's like they're called saw wet owls. We don't have them here, um, but yeah, I know they're the, they're, the smallest they're like owl the size, maybe. They're like the size of a softball. Yeah, yeah, little bitty and, things. And they're, they're they're super cool. Yeah, it's smaller than a screech owl, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you do any birding or do you, do you venture um, outside of the aquatic realm at all of birds do, or herps or I anything? Do, I do a good amount of herping just when I see snakes. Okay, I, yeah. think, I think I got his life for northern water snake when we were fishing yeah. in Iowa. Cool. Uh, I love northern water snakes, but they don't love me. Uh, <laughs> I think they have probably the most angry disposition out of any snake I have ever come across. Yeah. Well, in the rodeo, no, no love, you know. They, it. it I, don't, I only pick up the little ones because the big ones will actually draw blood because they just they, don't stop yeah. biting you. They refuse. They, no matter how calmly you pick them up, they refuse to stop biting you. Yeah. And like even so, that's why I only pick up the little ones because you know they can't draw blood, so they'll just you know poke, 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 <laughs> poke, 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 poke. They can't do anything about it. But we, yeah. we get we get a lot of cool snakes up here. I, I saw like on your story you had gotten one earlier today, which was kind of cool. Yeah, like a king snake or something. Was that what that was? Yeah, speckled king snake. It's yep. one of the cooler yep. snakes around. We we have a few of those in Iowa. Not very many though. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly I see a lot of what Nerodia, a lot of garter snakes, and a good amount of fox snakes up here. Fox snakes are really interesting. Um, I like I really like to see a fox snake. Fa- my favorite snake I've ever picked up was a big fox snake last summer. Yeah. It, when you look at them, sh- yeah, they they look like they'd be in the in the uh, like bull snake family, but yeah. in fact they're a rat snake. Mm-hmm. I. 
I missed it. I almost had a huge bull snake this summer. I couldn't get out of my car in time and it had already gone to the ditch and I didn't feel like following it. I was wearing shorts. I wasn't jumping into a roadside ditch in the middle of summer. Yeah. I wasn't about to do that, but it was a, you know, four foot bull snake. But yeah, yeah, one of the nicest snakes I've ever picked up was a fox snake. It's one of my yeah. favorite snakes I've ever found because it's three feet long and it showed zero aggression at all. Middle of summer, wasn't even, the only time it showed any aggression was when I had turned on my camera to take like a selfie with it and it looked at itself in my camera and it kind of hit my phone real quick. <laughs> I don't know if it saw another, I don't know what its thought was, if it saw another snake, if it had to be like aggressive or territorial. But the moment I like turned that camera off and put it away, didn't care anymore. Yeah. Maybe he thought he had beaten the snake in a fight. I don't know. <laughs> I misspoke a second ago. There's no such thing as the bull snake family. They're all, they're all the same family, Calibre Day. Yeah. Um, bull snake genus, uh-huh. what I meant to say. They, they, they look like a they look like a bull snake to me or something related to a bull snake, but they're, yeah, they're pantherophis. Yeah, we don't like pantherophis taxa. <laughs> right. One of one of the coolest snakes I remember is someone I had like watched on YouTube and stuff who's down in Texas. Uh, you ever heard of a uh, it's it's Hank Shima, uh, Pecos Hank on YouTube or whatever. He's a big snake guy in Texas, no, and especially. I've never heard of I think he's actually based out of Houston. Is he? Uh, What's he? It? He's he's What's a storm this? chaser, a musician, and a uh, like a herper. His uh, oh, Pecos Hank is yeah. Pecos uh, Hank, okay. Yeah, I can throw it in the Zoom chat or whatever. But he had uh, caught a huge Texas indigo snake down in South Texas. Yep. Uh, that's 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 a dream snake of mine. One of those. I know they're very. I know they're protected to some not, right. Yeah. Not anymore. Not they anymore. got delisted. That's that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're they're you know when they were listed um, however many years ago. Um, it was just kind of a precaution thing, but it, it turns out so many of the, so much land down in South Texas is, is always going to be protected from development. And like they have these huge swaths of land that are owned by these ranches and Indigo snakes are doing really well down there. Like King Ranch. Yeah. Like King Ranch, um, Kennedy Ranch, like, yeah, all the big ranches down there. And yeah, so they, they're doing fine. We've got um, a good bunch of Indigo stuff down in Corpus. Yeah, that's yeah, about as far my, far north as they'll go. I get my uh, big love of, I guess, snakes too. It's like I had said, my dad's from New Jersey, and he grew up with his brother always, you know, catching snakes and bringing them. He said he had a pet hognose snake as a kid for a while, and that that's a snake I've never caught that I want to catch as an eastern hognose. It's a very unique snake. Uh, I, I just want to. I just want to watch from. I just want to go up to it, kind of poke it, and watch it. You know, get all dramatic and you know, <laughs> bleh, play dead. Well, yeah. Well, if you want one to play dead, it's probably not going to play dead. That's how it goes. Yeah. It's always how it goes. Yep. But he said it, it's, its name was Puffy. Was his name because they would always you know, puff up and get big. Yep. So yeah, I always want to get one, and you know, because the moment I see one, I'm gonna call him like, "Hey, get over here right now! There's a snake, and you got to see it." If you ever come come down to fish in Houston, definitely get your hognose snake. They're yeah. pretty darn common. They're they're somewhat common in the Midwest. I just never seem to be able to find them. I need to get they, on one. Yeah. I get you one this weekend on. The Let's other do snake it. That we have Dude. everywhere here is uh, ringneck snakes. Yeah. Oh, those are everywhere. I, I guess our snake season ended a long time ago, but <laughs> yeah, we get I, I we get a lot of uh, turtles and you know the, the whole jazz. You guys, you ever got one of those big alligator snapping turtles? Are those down in South Texas? Or are those only? They're, they're in the eastern and the eastern like okay. third of Texas. Um, but they're yeah, they're. Uh, if you listen to the episode five. Talk all about alligator snappers. Uh, yeah. With this, this uh, lady that right. st- studies yeah, them, she, um, yeah, she, we cover a lot of stuff with them. But yeah, they're they're pretty common in our rivers in East Texas. Um, 
you ever eaten snapping turtle or i haven't no um it's, it's quite good actually we we have we've eaten the common snapping turtle i have a couple buddies it's the one that i was talking about earlier they'll you know talk to farmers who have you know their ponds get overrun by a snapping turtle or something it's like all right we'll go get that out and we'll you know clean it up give you some of the meat and then you know we'll enjoy the rest yep. very good uh, it's it's a it's a pain to clean because yep. what you have to do what the way we or the way they do it i guess is put the snapping turtle in a big plastic tote fill it with water and then just change the water out repeatedly so it basically just flushes all the shit out of itself for, for a couple of days because you can't really clean them then or else the meat is just kind of contaminated and yep. you wait for a couple of days until the water stays clear while changing it and then you you kill the turtle uh, and then you clean it gotcha very good we've had the way we eat it we just cut up the meat into small strips and just fillet it and fry it up with fish basically it's just so you know there's there's gonna be some herpers listening that are completely qualified right now probably <laughs> but it's you know a common snapping turtle is a it's a sustainable resource they can no, be harvested are... they're very common um it's and not like alligator true. snapping turtles that take you know 10 plus years to reach sexual yeah. maturity and mm -hmm. um have to de decline in many areas you know common, common snapping common turtles, turtles as their name implies are very common <laughs> they do very well up here i and... personally I have a special connection to, to turtles okay. and probably wouldn't harvest one myself, but if you serve me a plate with common snapper on it, I would eat it. In a it's heartbeat. not something I eat a lot of just because of, you know, they got a lot of mercury accumulation because they're, yep. you know, a that's, top predator. That's but one thing with turtles, yeah. And most of the time with, with you know, a common snapping turtle, it's more of, it's not keeping them a lot of times to harvest them. It's more just a relocation. Yeah. Just to I get them you. out of someone's pond where yeah. they may be wreaking havoc on a pond because. Usually they're not. Yeah, but <laughs> it's usually a farmer will come to us complain, and we're like, "Hey, any day we could pick up and you know hang out with the snapping turtles a cool day." So we usually <laughs> take that opportunity up because they're yeah. such a cool animal to you know they're cool check out because we'll see them crossing roads all the time. We'll just like you know stop traffic to get them off. It's like, hey, hold on, it's a turtle here. There's a big rock in the road. You don't want to run it over. <laughs> I love the 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 scutes on their tail are yeah very dinosaur like. And... They're they're. Because I know we were talking about the dinosaur fish. I think snapping turtles. I don't know how close they are to dinosaurs or whatever, but they are the most dinosaur-looking animal on the planet. I think. I think they might be in the. Um, I think they. Some people think they might be within the archosaur clade. Um, I think it's unresolved, but in which dinosaurs are part of that clade. Yeah. Um, but I think they they're, look like it. Yeah. I don't know what what they're. The current taxonomy is or the understanding of their evolutionary history is it's yeah they're they're an interesting group all around the turtles evolutionarily speaking if, yeah if there was ever an animal that is built to survive any predator or any outside threat it's probably some sort of snapping turtle because they're just they got they're know, tanks. They their, yeah they're they're you know walking tanks and they're so cool to watch see or just to see walking around all the time they're like an ankylosaur you know yeah. Yeah, that, that's I've what just, it is. I've just always thought that snapping turtles look like an ankylosaur. They're Close just thing we've got to a Pokemon walking around in our <laughs> magic carp. Yeah, you got a magic carp, and you got like a I don't even snapping know what turtles. a snapping turtle would be. Yeah. I have no idea. And I'm squirtle. Like yeah, like you're, squirtle? you're looking up to see like their uh... their taxonomy. Yeah. One thing that snapping turtles are is they are deceptively heavy. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And it always cringes, it all like because I know as like a herper, it always kind of cringes people to see him picked up by the tail. 
Yeah. And yep. and if I'm just having to move them off of a road very quickly, I'll do that just to scoot them off the road. Then I'll, you know, get them by the, or get them to where I can support them. Cause I don't, I guess, you know, if I have to move them off a road, it might not be the best thing for the turtle, but if I've got to get it off quick, to pick it up by the tail, run it to the grass, set it down and figure out what we're doing it, what we're doing with it from there. Yeah. Cause it is kind of hectic when there's a bunch of cars flying at you. Yeah. Because some people don't like to stop, even if there's people in the road. Eh, I've 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 had people like, I've stopped to like, you know, get a snake off the road while it's still slithered, and I've seen people swerve purposefully out of the way to run over the snake, and I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Hey, come on. People, uh, they don't respect our our, our wildlife. No. Really shame. And uh, and snakes are one of the things that people I feel like have such an irrational fear of that it's just more than anything yeah. else is you know snapping turtles and turtles especially you say turtles everyone's like oh i love turtles you know who yeah. doesn't love turtles snakes they're just such an, an irrational fear yeah it uh go ahead on i was, I was saying i remember trying to get a friend of mine over their fear of snakes and i took them herping right and i'm hoping to get some like little brown snakes and tentilla you know some decays browns little earth yeah. snakes whatever and we stumble across a pile of Nerodia, and I'm like, this is a great chance to educate them. Perfect. Perfect, you know, because you got, like, three of these Nerodia rhombifer at about, like, the six to eight-inch mark, and I'm picking them up, and I go, yeah, look at these guys. They're super cool. Put one close to my face, and it bites my nose, and I'm bleeding <laughs> for, like, the rest of the day. And I go, see, totally non-venomous, and I think they let out a little pee, and that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> But, you know, it's just snakes are scary sometimes if you don't know what you're doing. My favorite thing to say to people, it's like, well, how do you know if it's venomous? Well, if it bites you when you die, it's venomous. <laughs> if you don't die, it's not venomous. There you go. Here, right. Hold out your hand so it can bite you real quick. Have you ever heard of Snake Road, Casey? It's in uh, Southern Illinois. I've heard of it. I've never been there. I, I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I want to go there. I don't know, a couple hours or maybe it's more, but pretty it's, close to you, right? I'm Southern in, Illinois. I'm in the far northeast corner of Iowa. Oh, okay. That's probably a five or six, good five or six hour drive for me. Apparently, it's I've, it's I've uh, like in the her, in the herping community. It's it's one of those things you want to see at least once. There's a road that it cuts between um, like a rocky bluff. Yep. Um, sort of like mountainside, and the other side of the road is a swamp. And a lot of these, a lot of these snakes are you know spending their spring and summer down in the bottomlands, and then during during the spring or in the fall um they're migrating from the swamps back to their hibernaculas in the rocks where they're going to spend the winter and they have to shut this county road this forest road down because so many snakes are crossing it at once it it would just be a mass die off of snakes every time in many different species like uh, and then the same thing happens in the springtime and it's it's like you can walk down this road and just see tons of cottonmouths and timber rattlesnakes and milk snakes and like all like green snakes and yeah i've been meaning to go up there it's just it's kind of a haul from south texas southeast texas one of the things i really uh, is is a milk snake i want to catch one of those i still never have seen one of those yeah that's a you want to go out and flip cover you know flip rocks or flip boards or yep my the biggest way i run into snakes is uh so one of the things that i also do a lot and i didn't even get really talk about this is i I do a lot of storm chasing as well. Okay. 
that's an interesting i didn't even talk about this when i was talking about fish earlier but yeah yeah you do a lot of driving and you just see so much stuff on the roads i get a lot of snakes just on the road or turtles or especially just tons of tons of like painted turtles are on the roads they're all near a marsh and i've gotten i didn't really get the chance to handle that much because i was running from a giant hailstorm and i you know i had to get out (laughs) but it was it was a huge black rat snake i found in northern missouri just hanging out on a you know paved road just you know stopped my car kind of drove past him a little bit had to back up a little bit because i didn't realize what it was at first you know picked him up a little bit looked at him kind of remember that i was running from you know baseball sized tail and <laughs> but moved him to the direction he was going across the road then got out of there oh, that was a cool snake i really wish i had gotten a better picture of him i just got a picture of him sitting in the road yeah i would imagine if you're storm chasing like a lot of snakes there are a lot of wildlife in general, a lot of species move when, with, with drastic pressure changes Yeah, uh, with those big storm systems. So I would, I would imagine you would see a lot of snakes while, a while lot chasing of storms. Is, we'll get a storm that's happening in an area right when the sun goes down. So Ooh, you have yeah. those really wet, warm roads and then the sun goes down and it cools off and you see so many animals come up onto the roads. Yep. And one night where I had to not take this road because it was covered in toads, like covered. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna find a different road. This <laughs> is gonna yeah. go around because they're all, all their eyes were glowing back at me, and like my headlights. I'm like, no, this is creepy. I'm going the other way. I've, I've seen situations like that where, like, leopard frog, um, like little metamorphs are hopping all over the place, and yeah. there's like hundreds of them on on a stretch of road, yeah. and they all just emerge, you know, from the ditches and hopping around, and yeah, you just yeah. drive slowly and. You probably kill some, but yeah, that that, that the toad road. I I, toad I, road. I you like, just, got you out just of my turn. car and like looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, these are toads. I never just, had to turn around. <laughs> I I did not want to drive on that road. There were very many toads. Yeah, I've never seen anyway, them quite like that. Usually, I've seen a, a lot, lot, but you can like kind of swerve and you know maybe you're gonna hit some, but it's not it a wasn't mat, like, like they were just on like the sides of the road. They were in the middle of the road. It all was, over it, the place. It, it, it was a really remote gravel road. It was at night, so I wasn't too worried about them because they're probably gonna get off eventually. Just like, why are all these toads here? I wasn't near like a big body of water. I wasn't near really anything special. It was just this one section of the road just was coated in them. Well, that American toads or I, I, was toads say, I think I think yeah. so. Probably yeah. American toads. Yeah, they, I, uh, I'm not. I'm not super good with toads. Those are one of the yeah, few, one you. of the few herps I don't really know that well. Yeah, I got you. But we don't. We got really some cool ones. We got we got, like, some... we got like spadefoot and spadefoots are cool. Yeah. Uh-huh, we got. I think spadefoot and American are the two most common ones we've got. I got don't you. don't quote me on that. I know American for <laughs> sure. Okay, well, we, we, we've already established that you're a, you're a mainly a fish specialist. So. I, I'm, I'm a fish. Don't fish worry about it. I like fish. But, I like storms, and I like snakes. Those are my but, three big things. But yeah. One of my one of my goals for next year is I want to catch a uh, fish with a tornado going on in the background. Oh yeah, because I've taken myself with gnarly. a tornado and stuff, but you know, catch a fish, you know, be like, hey, look at this fish I got. Then you know, swivel the camera and I'm looking at a tornado. Well, that's that's yeah. something that would uh, require a lot of luck. I got Scary. two more posts to go, and then on Instagram, you guys are going to see me catch redfish with the storm the tropical storm nicholas in the back yeah and i've got pictures of that like that rain front moving in yeah. with the redfish post I've facing some, it i've had some very dramatic uh, escapes from a storm while fishing before it's one of the flatheads i caught lat in 2020 because i'll fi- some of them you end up fighting for 20 30 minutes 
but the thing is you're fighting them in you know really fast cooler oxygenated water so they're they don't tire out that easily because it's like <laughs> you're fighting them while they got an oxygen mask on you know they keep running and i had fought that fish for so long and there was a storm coming and it was a race to i got to get the fish in and the storm was like severe warned and everything i got to get the fish in i got to get it unhooked and i want to take a quick picture before we get doused and struck or like doused and struck by lightning there's a race we we, we did not win the race <laughs> <laughs> and, you know the fish doesn't care the fish is already wet but you know we got soaked those, those storms are scary man i i love them part of my childhood was north of dallas which is you know an area that does have Tornado a lot of tornadoes and it man every spring you'd get a tornado watch and then if you got a tornado warning that mean, that means yep there's like one touching down near you and yeah so it's like i was so scared when i was a kid and i guess i really got into weather because i'd always see storms when i was you know out fishing i was like yeah. oh i want to learn about these because they're cool yeah and uh, that was and then now i and now i storm chase and when i when the storms don't happen i just go fishing instead <laughs> it's, it's usually a good plan it's like well these storms suck there's a lake over there i guess i'll go check it out and you, that's usually how it goes do you pay a lot of attention to how um uh weather and and like pressure affects uh fish fishing I in general to, but i just don't think there's that big of a difference yeah. especially in the summer in yeah. the summer there's really not that big of a difference that's what most of our storms are it's just in the summer it's a cold front really doesn't do that much to the temperature in the summer yeah. it's like it might make it a couple degrees cooler. and i don't think there, there there's there's definitely some difference but for i guess the style of fishing that i do is fishing and it's 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 not really super like the difference is pretty negligible it's not a big deal i got you in the win in the winter and fall when you get like those huge cold fronts especially up here that you know drop us from you know we'll be in the 60s highs in the 60s one day and then two days later it'll be there'll be a foot of snow on the ground obviously there's a big difference maker there because yeah. you know the temperature drops so much and and you yeah. know in the fall more fish get active and less fish get active it depends on them yeah, yeah there's there's definitely a correlation what about you on uh i don't pay much attention to the weather if i'm being really honest if i have free time i'm fishing that's yeah. it i don't care if i'm like going to the winter in the storm and yeah. like bluebird skies because like when you when you fish for everything and anything and you're just really trying to rack up species you know there's something that's going to be active yeah. and yeah and so you just yes. have to figure that out yeah i think that's why like being a multi-species is like you're more well-rounded angler. If one fish isn't biting, you know another does another fish that will bite instead. Yeah, for sure. Catch those instead. Dude, a little pink swim bait. And I'm telling you, that's that's <laughs> the juice. You go to Academy in the in the little like dollar bin, there's a four-pack of pink swim baits with a chartreuse tail. And I know that I've told Casey this before, and I've I've, I've told everyone that wants to hear it, but like you throw that thing around you're going to catch everything. Yeah, our juice has always been a little shad-colored swim bait because we got so many gizzard shad up here. That's been our that's been our gas has always been that. It's just a little little silvery white swim bait. Everything will eat it. That we're like shrimp on bottom, worm on bobber. Like mm -hmm. for saltwater and freshwater, that's just it. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. They're all so good. I just had this thought. Are there any dogmas in the popular fishing realm that y'all want to address here? about 
fishing baits or, or, or anything related to fishing that is just people are really uh, missing because y'all are you guys are, are very passionate fish fish people and and sure i'll think about this sort of thing yeah i got one um it's not like a super controversial one but in the realm of fishing with lures there are only out of all the colors there are only two that really actually work yeah yeah like there i i will most lures are designed to attract the angler and not the fish <laughs> and that's good see this is what it's, i wanted to hear it's there's it, the only three i would recommend someone three colors and that's it like a white color like a like a white plastic maybe a chartreuse plastic and a purple plastic that's it those are the only three colors you ever need to catch fish dang that's it. That's what about the, the watercolor doesn't play play in to this uh, it, in clear water i use white um and and i'll still use white and muddy but in muddy water i like to use purple and especially in clear water also you can use them both because purple especially when it's darker and lower light casts way nicer of a, of a silhouette and it's not like and it's a pretty common color like any like dark blue will be will do the same thing as a purple really but those are the two colors then i don't like plain like full-on chartreuse baits i like kind of chartreuse tip baits those are usually good because yeah. you know fish isn't going to look at something that's bright yellow and be like i want to eat that yeah you know, it's, <laughs> for in me, some it's, cases yeah. you'll get it but yeah for me those colors are fully pink. white fully brown or pink with a chartreuse tail yeah I like natural colors. Those are the only colors that you really need to catch fish with. Yeah. yeah. Like it either looks like a shad mosquito fish or it's pink with a chartreuse tail and they're just kind of intrigued. Yeah. And that's why yeah, this is like a, yeah. You, you, yeah. You're trying to present a natural, you know, lure. You think everything you would fish with would be more of a, like something that looks the color of a shad or. Uh-huh. I, know, I guess yeah i don't know like a minnow yeah minnow there's so much but there you go into a bait shop or you know academy and there's aisles and aisles of all these crazy colors of lures and yeah you know. i know exactly what i'm looking for in those stores yeah yeah and that's one thing i think being a multi-species like angler is you understand how fish move so much better than people who just are kind of tunnel visioned on one fish it's especially if you're micro fish or if you know how the bait fish move you know what they're what they look like, you know exactly what the predators will do to follow them around. Yeah, it's like I know guys who want to catch big pike, and they always at, they're always like, "Where you want to catch them?" And I'm like, "Well, pike love to eat red horse, and I know where all the red horse hang out." Yep. So you know, you do the math, and I mean, else? yeah, like just last night. Sorry, I, it's not about like the fishing dogmas, but just last night, me and my friend went out to. Uh, to Packery Channel, like the most popular spot to fish in Corpus Christi. And we had no bait, two lures a piece and some jig heads. And we went through, caught like the bottom of the food chain, sand trout, cut it up, caught rock bass. And then we took the rock bass and we made it into bait for the cutlass fish. We took the cutlass fish, made it into bait for redfish. And it's like, you can go out there with literally nothing. Just take a small hook, work your way up the food chain. You don't need fancy baits. Know. that's fun too that's that's cool yeah <laughs> also what my other kind of dogma and this is more of a hot take i guess is unless you are fishing for like big catfish or like giant fish no freshwater fisherman needs heavy gear i have never owned a bait caster and i have never used a bait caster i never planned to own a bait caster i have used basically apart from my like big flatheads and like big buffalo that i catch i have basically only ever used light spinning gear 
Yeah. And I don't really have any, you know, interest in getting any bigger gear. Yeah. That's that's one thing that it gets that irks a lot of bass fishermen in the Midwest is, you know, I see a lot of like tournament fishermen using like, you know, and I guess for a tournament you got to get the fish in as fast as you can, whatever. But I see a lot of guys using forty pound power pro for a three pound bass, and I'm like, man, what do you? Yeah. What do you need that for? it's not yeah. it's not not that necessary to me well, some, some of that is uh if they're if they're flipping and heavy cover yeah you know that sort of thing or like if they're using a heavier rod and a heavier reel a lot of times they're using it to yeah. throw a, a deep crankbait and it's just less work on you to to mm-hmm. you're fishing a deep crank all day yeah oh, you know although i i get i get the deep i get the deep water fishing but i look at like yeah. the guys who are fishing super heavy cover it's like you don't even get to feel the fish yeah. One yeah. of my biggest reasons why I like to fish is I like to fight fish. I like to fight. Yeah. I like fish that fight super hard. Yeah. And when you're like punching pads or like using super heavy stuff, you don't even get to like fight the fish. You just, just pull it right out. Fight and, you're, and then, and then you pull up a fish along with 10 pounds of weeds. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's kind of cool. I guess it's just not, to yeah. me, I get to some people how it can be fun. I don't want to, you know, you know, dunk on what other people enjoy doing, but it's just that that's just yeah. not fun to me. It, it is for me it, it is interesting I, I, like i'm i don't know, identify as a bass fisherman anymore I, i'm trying to become more of a, a you know this life lister with fishing but I, I used to really enjoy fishing that sort of structure because you're you're looking out and you're like trying to figure out where a fish could be sitting and it's it's kind of fun you know flipping the thick cover yeah because you're, oh, yeah. you're really diving into like the micro habitat yeah in a macro habitat which yeah. you have to scope out before yeah so it's, it's, it's cool but it's not for you know everybody's different I like guess, you said Casey. i guess my like love of light gear kind of stems back to you talking about i got all my inspiration from like my dad who only uses a medium weight spinning rod and that's all i've ever really seen him use and yes. it's just like yeah that's and you know i do a lot of small creek fishing for like smallmouth bass and stuff and yeah. you don't need heavy gear you just need a little light rod they're acrobatic they're fun they're, you know they beat the crap out of you it's it's a good time Dude, I caught a 21-inch redfish on a dock demon with two-pound mono, so anything's possible. <laughs> and, yeah, and you remember, so at that spill where we fished at, you're, like, standing straight above. Me and some friends went back there later in the summer and used uh, those little Barbie poles. Yeah. And we and we tried to fish for them there. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we were unsuccessful, and all four rods we bought uh, did not finish the day in one piece. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I've, we, I've fished with, like, the dock demon. It's a little yeah. two-foot yeah uh-huh. those things I, bought, hold yeah, up. I went with the lightning mcqueen little you know kids fishing pole and it didn't get the job done the, job. Uh, real, yeah. the reel broke and then the rod broke very quickly after is <laughs> is a good time any other yeah. any other major points in, with fishing that you guys want to address here before we wrap it up it's really not that hard it's I not guess, that deep don't overthink it, it. enjoy it fishing, just try new things that's always a fun thing with fishing is to yeah. try new things don't downsize your hook don't get tunnel visioned on just one species and expand your horizons as a fisherman. Yeah. It's very much worth it because there's so many cool fish that you don't know about because you may just like to fish for one species. Eat yeah. more species. Yeah. yeah. Also eat more species. Yeah. Yeah. Eat. And you, you may not like some of the fish you eat and you may discover a new favorite fish that you really enjoy eating at the same time. Especially lower on the food chain. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Good well, deal. Great to have you on, Casey. Great yeah, talking to you, man. 
it's a good time yeah um yeah. thank you for having me that was, that yeah. was a lot of fun this is really first ever long podcast in yeah we, we did uh, two, two hours at, and 20 minutes he's <laughs> just looking at my watch yeah. is, is, is that the longest one you've had so far record record time here let's go record time <laughs> are, we, are we are we gonna hit 100 who knows maybe <laughs> on well, yeah great to have you back man I was so stoked to see, see yeah. Casey and see you guys yeah. hit it off. This conversation was yeah, so man. very productive. Hey, look, you ever, you ever need someone to talk about duck hunting with or fishing with again, you know, you know where to find me. Sounds good. All right, fellas, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to round it out here. Until right. next time. Next time. Thank you. See you. See you, see you later. Bye, guys.